Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. We do have a quorum, thank you. Okay, now uh, Trustee Bouquet, I think we're ready for you. Motion to approve the uh, minutes, uh, action item A. Thank you. Second. And uh, Trustee DeVries on the uh, second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. Uh, let's move on to informational discussion items. B1, uh, Chief Financial Officer Report. I'm going to, before we I turn it over to you, uh, Kim, um, I meant to contact you today, but at any rate, we'll say it in public. <laughs> I, 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 let's, let's try to get through these reports as quickly as possible. Um, I just look at Joe's face, and, and that gives me an indication of we're not into a long meeting tonight, but also uh, we, we have two items that are very, I'm picking on you. Uh, we have two big items tonight, uh, the interim budget, and uh, there's a uh, contract uh, proposal that I think is going to be uh, worthy of a lot of discussion. So uh, I want to make yeah, yeah. notice you weren't there. Uh, I'll try again. No. Okay. So uh, Kim, uh, back to you. Okay, so Mike, I'm going to put my presentation up, and I'll try to get through it uh, quickly. Thank you. No, while he's pulling it up, I could probably just talk about the first couple slides, which is the COVID-19 funding update. Okay. Um, we did receive some additional funds. Uh, this is the May report. So we got uh, $825,000 for the skilled nursing CARES um, support. We also received a million um, based on uh, AHP's uh, Medicare revenue. Uh, we also received 25,000 from the CHA grant in May. And uh, we also got 20,000 in June for the CDPH telemarket, uh, I'm sorry, telemedicine grant. And we've got our first federal matching. Uh, we had said we thought we'd get 382 from uh, January to March, and we got it, and we think we'll get another 100 next month. Mm -hmm. And we also got word that we are going to get 1.85 million um, from the Alliance uh, for, for our grant from them. And I did talk to their CFO today, and he said he was signing the check. So um, we did get some nice funding and some good news in May. Uh, so I wanted to share that. It is the first two pages of the slide deck, and it's in the packet. Any questions? Trustees on that? So there's been a, lot, a couple months of these uh, sort of supplementals uh, related to COVID that have come in. Do you expect more? What do you? What do you sort of? What's your projection for the future? Yeah, we are hoping for quite a bit more, actually. So um, uh, it, it'd be easier if I could show you the, the grid. So, Mike, are you uh, have, making any progress? Do you want me to try to do it? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I'm not sure I can do that. The uh, This monitor is not up. So uh, you can go ahead and try, but uh, I'm not sure if I had... All right, let's see here. And may not give you permission. Get it up here. I'll get the presentation up first. 
Looks like we need to add a, um, some equipment to Mike's budget in the budget. <laughs> That's tough to do around here, you know. Capex. <laughs> yeah, I've <you> noticed. <laughs> All right, let me get this going and see if I can get it, make it work. All right, so then now we need to share my screen. There's my presentation. Are you guys seeing that? Yeah, we are. All right, I'm getting better at this, slowly but surely. <laughs> Practice. Okay, does that work? Perfect. Okay. So this is the uh, the chart that I was referring to. Um, so there's some additional county money there in in CARES five that we're still looking at um, receiving. Um, we've also got the FCC funding right above that that we're still looking for. Uh, and then there's the you have a big one here. Trying to find it. Uh, it's based on our cost reports, probably the previous one. That one's the biggest one. We think, you know, if we if we can get the federal government to do another round and true up, we should we could potentially get 30 million. So that would be huge. Uh, there it is, right there, CARES Act Part Eight. So there's still quite a bit of funding that we are, um, you know, working on getting. Uh, Kim, what's your time? What's your time estimation, and and what is uh, this half? By the way, hi. Um, estimated potential of thirty million. What what is your realistic expectation of that, and what would be the timing of that as it as it rolls through the fiscal? Is this over six months, or is this over? They plan on distributing within three months. Do you have a feel for that? Well, they already did their first round, and we did not receive any funds. We're not exactly sure why. For San Leandro Hospital, we felt we met all of the criteria, um, but we rolled San Leandro into Highland, and so we're not sure what CMS used to, to make the decision. So CAPH is, um, we're, not, we're not the only hospital. I think they just wanted to get money out quickly because hospitals were in dire straits. Um, so CAPH has been working with them to do a true up to the first um, money that was sent out that we did not get and also to augment it. So um, I, the 30 million is what we think we should have gotten in the first round that we didn't get. Um, so it may be that we may even get more than that. But unfortunately, they don't they're not really telling us um, Why? exactly what they're looking at. <laughs> yeah, not surprising. So what we did do is we amended our, our cost report to make sure that it was as accurate as possible. We tied it out to our audited financial report because one of the criteria was that you had to have less than a, I think it was a 3% margin if my memory is correct. Mm -hmm. And we would have, uh, we would have qualified. So uh, right. more to come on that. Are, are any of these contingent on the next uh, stimulus bill passing? Uh, no, I, I, this is as up to date as what, as everything I knew when we loaded this presentation. 
So if there's more money coming that I'm not aware of yet, then it's not in here. Right. And there's those bills are, are kind of opaque right now anyway. So, okay. Here's. Okay. So why don't we go to the uh, expense slide? It looks like Mike's in control. One more. So here's the COVID expenses. This is through May 31st. Um, uh, as I've mentioned before, we set up uh, uh, account departments that are for 100% COVID related costs. Those are the first items there. It's just about a million dollars. And then um, other expenses that are in the normal procurement process, we just went ahead and let them go be distributed out where they were used. Uh, and I did that for several reasons. Uh, one reason is we're not allowed to double dip. So if we, if we use it on patient care, we're likely to be denied. Um, however, when I can show we're spending more than our run rate when our census is down, it's obviously COVID. So uh, anyway, I'm just trying to make sure I'm ready so that when anybody audits us or uh, when we have any opportunity to get money to reimburse us, we will be in a good place to, to support the request. But anyway, I also want to note too, 7.5 million in the scheme of things is not a lot. Right. I mean, we're talking 40 million in net revenue versus, you know, 7.5 million in expense. So um, the next slide is our volume slide. Um, if we look at this, you can see our acute patient days are, are down 19%. That's better than last month. We were about 25% last month. So we are building back. Good news. Uh, bad news further down there, ED visits are down uh, 26%. And if you look at outpatient surgeries, which is mostly elective stuff, it's down 69.5%. Overall surgeries down 42.9%. Those are huge, uh, you know, decreases in volumes. And those have not picked up, although our census has. In the skilled nursing area there, I want you to notice discharges. You know, we're having a hard time getting patients out. You know, the, um, you know, people are very concerned uh, and, you know, we are concerned too about patient safety. On the clinic visit side, you can see primary care visits are down 9.9%. Uh, um, overall visits are down 30.7, eight, that's 8,653 visits. But if you go down to telehealth, we actually had 10,177 visits. So um, mm -hmm. we're really netting pretty well there with telehealth. And as long as our reimbursement is uh, um, strong, which it's, it's decent, you know, and during the, um, the uh, crisis where we get higher reimbursement, um, I will break that out for you. I just didn't, couldn't get it done for this, this uh, presentation. Thank you, Kim, for that follow-up. <laughs> I did not forget. I know I done. know you don't forget. I appreciate it. I know how hard it is. But that, that, it helps give us a schema for understanding where telehealth is coming across the, the enterprise. Yes. Kim, what is, what is that negative number under others of 4,000 visits? Negative number under other? Yes, yeah, under Other visits? No. Uh, oh, it's a true up number. Um, if I was going to guess, they were telehealth visits, and so they got moved down. Um, but that's a good uh, a good catch. I will make sure that uh, 
I look into that more, but that's what I would expect it to be based on the way we pull the data. Mm -hmm. Next slide, please. So I thought it would be interesting to share some information that Epic shared with us. Um, this first graph is HB, and this is um, Alameda Health System compared to our peer group. Our peer group is Epic customers in the Western, and I, it's either, uh, what, uh, I think it's the Western states. I don't think it's just California, but I asked who was in it. Um, our uh, peer in San Francisco Public Hospital is in there, uh, I know for sure. Um, but what's interesting is if you compare us, oops, slide seven. Could I make a friendly recommendation that Mike just let Kim do it from her computer? I'm happy to. So here we go. Um, and what's interesting is um, Alameda never hit the bottom that the other hospitals hit. So right there, April 4th, um, our, our peers hit the, hit the bottom. We never went down that far because I think we have the skilled nursing facility and John George, which stayed relatively full. And then what's interesting is that we kind of picked up right away but then we flattened out and our peers are now seeing a lot more um, volume. So mm -hmm. we're behind our peer group in recovery at this point. Um, so I know we've been pretty conservative. Uh, we wanna make sure our employees and uh, patients are safe. Um, but I do think, you know, there's an opportunity there to, uh, from a financial perspective to uh, grow back um, a little faster. So this is PB and here and PB's professional side and here we're a lot closer. We jump around a lot more, but the trend is a lot more consistent with our peer group. However, we're behind now in June as well uh, in recovery. But generally we've been ahead. So. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, because we're one entity, so we're going to jump a lot more than the smoothed average. But you can see that, you know, we obviously had a bunch of claims in-house because it jumped up there in um, mid-March uh, and then dropped immediately back down. So we got a whole bunch of charges out the door, uh, you know, as we still stabilizing from um, our Sapphire implementation. So I thought those were really interesting slides and good information. It's always good to benchmark. Mm -hmm. Always. So here's our financials for May. Not good. Um, we are, uh, we've got a, a net income loss of 17.4 million, which is 11,250 worse than budget. Uh, from an EBITDA standpoint, we're at a negative 10,260, which is 7.7 .7 worse than budget. Uh, on a year-to-date, we're doing quite a bit better. Our uh, net 
income is actually just about 14 million better than budget. Um, keep in mind in June is when we had uh, budgeted the behavioral health money that we actually uh, got in December. It's a, it's a big number. Um, anyway, so on an EBITDA basis, we are at 44.1, which is a 40 million uh, positive variance. And my only concern there is the fact that we did do some true ups last month on our uh, recoupments. We got new information from CAPH and we ran those through the financials and we did reduce some of our reserves. Problem is that's not cash. That's and it's a balance sheet adjustment. So little uh, concern. I wish that that was all cash that was coming in the door. So here's the slide on our revenue. Um, Right away, you look at gross patient revenue, we're down 18%, so it's kind of consistent with the stats we were looking at. Uh, and then you look at your our collection rate at 16.3, that is where we've been year to date, so it's consistent with trend, however, lower than budget. So we had a pretty aggressive budget. We, um, we had expected to do quite well in the EPIC implementation, we, we wanted to be a mid to top performer. And as everyone knows, we've been struggling to, to stay above a bottom performer. Um, in regard to other government programs, uh, we did adjust Measure A. Uh, we've been talking about the fact that we had a cushion. We had a million left last month but um, we really saw a decrease in the latest reports from the county. We think today we will come 5 million under budget. So we budgeted 117.7 million that we're not gonna get there. We're gonna be about 112. So we took two and a half million hit this month and I expect that we'll do the next two and a half next month. In regard to supplementals, it was a good, strong month. We are still recognizing the original 14 million of the CARES Act. This is the third month of the 4.67 million. We also got that 800,000 um, uh, that we talked about when we started today for the skilled nursing facilities. And then there was uh, Prop 56 funding of 0.3 offset by the QIP reporting issue that we've been uh, talking about since January but uh, definitely a good, strong, positive there, variance there, 5.2. So on the operating expense side, we're over 3.7 million. Um, I'll skip labor for now because the next slide is all about labor. Um, on the physician contracts, we've got a positive variance because those have now moved in, many of those contracts have, be, have moved into employment status. So they're no longer considered a uh, contract service. Our purchase services has been high all year. Um, but what's nice to see, and I'm you know, really happy to report this, is we are running uh, less of a negative variance. We're at 9.9 .9 compared to 10.4. Um, we also reclassed our, our alliance imaging from a rental under facilities to purchase service since we're paying by scan. So it's offsetting some of the reduction in purchase services, but we did let go a lot of our contractors. So uh, good news there because they're expensive and it's a good sign that we're starting to stabilize in the revenue cycle. 
Materials and supplies are favorable this month, uh, but quite a bit unfavorable year to date. And again, that's directly related to COVID. Um, the facilities are positive because of the reclass I just talked about of the Alliance Agreement, um, but also because the Creekside rent is now being picked up by the county. We're going to end up giving up that space. And so we are no longer responsible for the rent. Uh, depreciation has been negative since uh, since January because we did not budget enough money there. But good news for all of you is we were on budget with the projects that we capitalized in January. That's the acute rehab and the EPIC implementation. So we just had a budget error there and we also spread it evenly through the year and we should have only spread it January through June. Mm -hmm. Administrative is positive, mostly just managing expenses tightly. Um, in regard to the labor, um, here's where you see a big change. If you look at salaries and wages, we are unfavorable this month. It, it may not look that bad at 1%. However, we've been running 4.4% favorable all year. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a big shift. And this is all about the leaves of absence. We hit a high in May of 440.3 FTE on leave. Uh, in April, because our census was so much lower, we didn't see a whole lot of backfill. And also, it seems that employees might have been a little slow getting them improved. But we saw a big jump in May, and we also saw a hit in registry. So uh, this has definitely had a negative uh, impact on the organization. In regard to other variances here, uh, I guess good news you could say, um, our employee benefit plan is favorable. Uh, I guess the shelter in place and the low census also has impacted our own employees and their access to care. Um, the retirement, we've talked about that a lot. The negative variance there is the non-cash item uh, based on the amortized uh, liability of our uh, pension plan. So with low interest rates, we're going to um, have to fund more. Uh, higher interest rates, we fund less, and we, we missed it with the budget. Concerning to me is that compensation ratio there at 89.8%. That means almost 90 cents of every dollar we collected went to labor costs. That's really off the charts, isn't it? I mean, I think the benchmark is around 70 We've been running around, well, 72, you can, you can see at our year to date, we've been historically last year, 70% where I was before we were about 50%. Got it. Actually, I think I read somewhere that uh, it's somewhere between 50 and 60 is the yeah. benchmark nationally. I mean, we live in a very high cost market, but uh, these numbers are really unsustainable. Yeah. Well, can you explain the jump from from the year to date to, to that? It's all the salary and wages because of the leave of absence. We've got four, 440.3 FTEs of paid leaves. And, then and no volume. And, and no volume coming in. I'm sorry, right. say that again? And no volume coming and in. And no volume, yes, yes. It's a, it's a double sides. whammy. How's that for a technical term? I think in the HR presentation earlier this week, it was something like $7 million. Trustee Pearson, you're mumbled. Okay. Uh, I was saying in the HR committee meeting, I think that you uh, 
Tony ran out some numbers, and I think the leave cost was somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 million. Wow. Yeah, just a reminder. Did you say, did you say $7 million? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Whew. Yeah, just a reminder that uh, most employers were eligible for reimbursement for leaves related to COVID, and, uh, but, but uh, not public entities. So we fall into the latter category. So we just we just took that hit directly. I hope there's some appreciation amongst the team for what we offered there. Yeah, yeah, I, I I hope so. I hope so too. And I'm sure it did help a lot of employees out. I mean, it, it, I can only imagine what it would be like to have children and have no place for them to go, and you needing to be yeah. at work. So. Yeah, I think it was the right thing to do. It's just. Uh, painful financially it is painful financially and here's the fte graph so the difference between those right. two lines has been vacancies and we ate the whole thing up and you know for the first time all year are at our budgeted fte and uh, this is an important slide as we talk about our budget gap so remember this slide um because it, it it is really amazing how many vacancies the organization runs with. Right. And so how, how, how much longer will they leave, um, the leaves end up uh, causing this sort of uh, blip in our... Uh, well, the, the leaves can be up to 12 weeks. Each person can have up to 12 weeks. Some of them you know, took them, you know, intermittently. So I don't have a, a, a good idea of, you know, when they're coming back and when they're going to leave again. Tony was, uh, I think, kind of optimistic. I know he had that. I was listening to the HR committee meeting yesterday. Um, so I think the worst is May uh, and maybe June will be second worst, but I don't think that they're going to continue at this rate. I mean, May, this was shocking to me. I didn't expect it. When we talked about April, it was way less than I thought. And then all of a sudden, I don't know whether they were the, the, there was a delay in getting um, leaves approved or whether staff found out about them. And then all of a sudden, everybody uh, signed up. But um, I think that, that May will be the high point. I, I was looking at his uh, presentation from the HR committee meeting and the uh, through the middle of, the, of June, it was seven million, and the run rate for the June thirteenth was uh, three point uh, one point three million, almost one point three. So, uh, you know, probably through through the end of uh, through the end of June, it could be at eight million bucks, a little over eight million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Um, so this next slide is the balance sheet metrics um the day's cash is lower and that's just a, a timing difference just to remind everybody the our money is uh swept to the treasury of the county and then we have to draw money down to make payroll or to pay vendors and so depending upon when the money actually hits us from the county versus when the ap run or the payroll hits we can have some differences um, to the magnitude that you see here Right. For the uh, gross days and net AR days, usually they flow the same way. In other words, if both one goes up, the other goes up. But mm -hmm. what's interesting here is it did not happen. Our 
gross days went up 0.4 and our net days went um, down 1.6. It's unfortunate that we went up because with the lower uh, census, we have less charges. So that means we are not doing as good as we should on our AR collections. Um, But the reason why net went down so much more is because we started reserving more on the legacy AR. Um, it doesn't change any of the projections that I, I gave the board, but um, what we wanted to do by June 30 is have, because at that point we're like nine months old, we didn't want to carry over a lot of AR to be audited. Um, we, we wanted to get the reserves up, so that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is we use a rolling year average, and this is from my predecessor, it's not me normally use 90-day calculation, but I think we use that as an organization to kind of smooth things out. And um, if I was sitting in this chair then, I could see why we would do it because we were going to go live with Epic. And we didn't, you don't want small things to to make huge variations. So as we move forward, maybe we'll we'll change that to a more more industry standard. but it, it was interesting for me to drill into this and to see that they had made adjustments last year that did actually impact our uh, net AR number in addition to the ones we made on the legacy AR. Days and accounts payable um, have improved quite a bit. We got a lot of money in, so we were able to pay a lot of bills. You can see that over 60 days also went down. It's even less than we finished last fiscal year, so good shape there. Um, this bottom section here was uh, at the request of uh, DeVecchio. He wanted us to report on the due tos due from, from the county, and there is a section in our budget report about that. I'm going to change this up a little bit so that it really talks about what's important, what's um, money that's not in the, in the everyday sort of um, relationship between us and the county. So look forward to that next time. So here's the cash collections. We are now at 104.5%, which would indicate that maybe we have some additional net revenue we could recognize. Uh, We've made the conscious decision because of COVID and all of the unknowns just to let it ride. You saw that our um, collection ratio has been consistent all year. Um, But it's interesting to see that, you know, we're still getting this money in on the legacy AR. And also that, you know, we had enough AR backlog within epic to uh, not really see much impact of the COVID yet so we will see it it's not going away you don't lose 25 percent of your volume and not see your cash go down 25 percent it's a lag indicator right yes so it is definitely a lagging indicator but good news so money is coming in Then next one here, I just decided to do a quick slide on Sapphire. We have a whole presentation that we can go through later if everybody wants, but here's a summary. We're looking pretty good in a lot of areas. So that's the positive side. I'm a little disappointed in HBCFB being yellow. So that has come up a bit and that does not make me happy because we thought we had that really under control. Uh, So a lot of focused effort going into that um, since, uh, since month end. The area where we're really struggling with is denials. You can see that there. Uh, Bottom performer for PB is 7.5, and we're at 9.2 days. 
um, and an HB, a bottom performer is 4.2 and we're 9.1, so not good at all. So we got a whole bunch of claims out the door and then we got a whole bunch of denials. Yeah, so, that's my recollection as you shared that we were going to get a lot of denials because we pushed so much out and that the, this would be a real, this would be the next blockage, if you will, in the pipeline. So this isn't all that surprising. It's what happens if we don't get out of this quickly, then then that'll be a problem. Correct. Uh, we've got a lot of focused attention on it, and uh, you know, I we could we could probably even skip the other presentation, but uh, I can tell you that uh, we've got we've changed up our whole revenue cycle now. Where the crit, which is the the um, all hands on deck with IT meeting is now on only one day a week instead of two. And the second day is 100% denials, root cause. How do we fix the system so it doesn't happen again? Well, clean claims going through and payments coming back. Yep. So that's the story there. So this is the supplemental programs. Um, there's really only one big change. We uh, received the Medi-Cal Managed Cal Rate Range money um, that's down there towards the bottom of the chart. Um, that's the normal course of business, nothing to really be excited about. Um, again, though, the, the areas of concern are the road to the cost report settlement that's due in December, the 26 million and the old waiver money, 65.9 in December, one, two, three, that's fourth line down. And then we've got the FQHC settlement at 46.5 in next December. And although the total is a net receivable, you have to remember all of the money for the current programs, we need to pay our current expenses. We don't, we can't use it to pay the recoupment. So that's this whole okay. slide. Uh, here's the NNB forecast. Um, I, you can see this year that we've bumped up against that line of credit several times. But in the end, we are going to uh, meet the NNB goal of $125 million. Uh, I know right now our cash balance or our, our line of credit was at uh, $85.6 million at June 30. So we were $39 million, almost 40 to the good. That's good news. Uh, we talked about that last month, how we got a lot of advancements and we got a lot of additional cash. Um, but when we look out to next year, you can see that we're hitting the NNB regularly. And right. the reason for that is, is we've drawn on the line because of the net impact of COVID. We haven't gotten all of the money back. I mean, we still lost revenue. We still had higher expenses and all the funds that we have gotten do not cover all of that. So that basically was a step up. And then in addition to that, we're budgeting um, based on calendar year 19 performance, which was a 3% or 3.2% uh, EBITDA margin. Right now we're at break even. So we are not even at a point to get to this blue line today. In addition to that, um, we normally spend 30 million or so on capital and we need 43 million. And then we've got the increased cost of um, Epic and also the uh, projects that are currently in place that we're committed to finishing. So there's more about that in the budget presentation, but uh, you can ask me, why did I do this? And it's because this was our 
conceptually, this is what we wanted to do. We wanted to have to hit the calendar year performance. If we did, we still would be hitting up against that NMB line. And then if you add the recruitments, that's the red line. And that's not a new story. This graph has looked like this, you know, for years. Most of those recruitments are from 14 and 15. So Kim, I believe there's a meeting scheduled to meet with the, uh, uh, the county uh, board of supervisors and the auditor controller. Uh, this is the second meeting to discuss this particular condition. Um, that is my recollection, right? You're correct. Yes. Okay. And so, so just a reminder that you know we had a good meeting. The first meeting was you know a very collaborative, um, and we were providing quite a bit of information to the county. Uh, we were, we provide a lot more information since then. And uh, this next meeting is, uh, you know, really preparing for that reality um, in, that's coming in September, which is right around the corner, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Any questions question. about this? Yeah, it looks, it looks like it's gonna hit sometime towards the end of September, somewhere between September and November. Is that right? Looking at the red line and closing, we'll receive the balance. Ross, it's really hard to hear you. Oh, okay, All right. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I just said it looks like it's sometime between September and October where we will hit the the credit balance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can see we start going up, and and that's because the we got the nine thirty. Um, H, um, uh, county funding uh, early. So we don't have it then, we got it, which helped us get to the 630 um, low number against the NNB, but now it got, we're not gonna get it in that June, uh, September 30 timeframe. And then this is, this between June and September is when I expect we'll have the cash hit from the lower <laughs> census. Right, yeah. Okay, and I think there's one more slide. Yeah, this is it. Um, this just talks about the significant uh, impacts in the table here. So the my estimate on the COVID-related cash collections is going to be a hit of 24 million. I do think we'll get some more money. I only have eight here. I hope it's better than that. Um, and then there's the recruitments that have not changed now for, for a very long time, other than we trued up some of the reserves. And then I just reminded everybody about the high-risk variables, um, that there's just so much unknown today. Okay, are there any any questions, trustees? Okay, I'm gonna make a proposal that we um, just accept the reports B2 and B3 um, and take a moment to answer any questions if, Trustees might have questions, but but not receive a full report from staff on those items. Is that? I'm good with that. I say, I say we get on to the budget. Yep. Great. Let's do that. So uh, item C is FY 2021 budget and discussion. So uh, staff's been working uh, diligently in the middle of a crisis to try to get us to an interim budget that um, takes into consideration all the moving parts that we're 
particularly facing right now. So this is that first attempt. In terms of process, we probably can have more conversation at the end of this about process. But, um, it, you know, it it, uh, it is a case that we have a retreat scheduled uh, for the end of this month or actually it's the 24th, 25th, I think, of July. And so that provides an opportunity really to take this interim budget, take the feedback uh, we can give staff today um, and make some decisions about what we might want to add in terms of process discussion at that retreat. And um, and then uh, I'd like to see us, I'll just tell you what the chair's goal here is to get to a point where at the retreat we're actually passing a interim budget. Um, I should go back and capture one piece of information. Um, there was a, a concern expressed by trustees at our last meeting that um, we were in a new fiscal year without a budget. So we did what we needed to do uh, legally regarding notifying the county uh, per our agreement uh, that we were out of compliance with our bylaws and, and that we were moving forward to approve a interim budget um, in July. So uh, that went out, uh, I think June 30th, the last day of the, of the fiscal year, but it went out nonetheless. So this is, um, and I'm gonna ask staff to take over because this is the work they've been doing um, and it's both operating budget and a capital budget. So Kim and Delvecchio, do you wanna help us out here? I can share um, the screen here. Yeah, we'll let uh, Kim go ahead and, and, and pull it up. Uh, um, uh, Trustee Seguin, uh, thank you for that context. I think uh, uh, you, you touched on all the points that I thought was important for uh, uh, trustees to be reminded of. So I would uh, just assume turn it over to Kim now to walk us through it, and we can entertain any questions uh, that you have uh, uh, upon review. So thank you. Thank can you. you all see it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's our agenda. We're gonna, uh, we'll, I'll present the proposed interim operating budget. We'll look at the cash flow and then the uh, capital budget request. Um, this is the same slide that we've been um, sharing every time we've um, given this presentation. It basically just says that, you know, we're focusing on stabilization after Sapphire, that we weren't gonna build in a lot of new programs or cut programs, that we wanted to generate enough uh, cash flow to meet our operating needs and to contribute to capital as, um, and we wanted to be inclusive and involve everyone, including the Board of Supervisors. Uh, it uh, needs to be, and it is, balanced. And um, we also wanted to build in a lot of continuous improvement um, or efficiency in our, in our operation. Uh, here's the interim um, budget. It is there under column budget 2021. Right now, we are a little better than break even at um, an EBITDA of 1.2 million. Um, the revenue sources uh, have increased to 29.8 million. Our expenses are still increasing 74 million for an increase in a net loss of 44.6 from our calendar year 2019 target. So I, we've updated the waterfall slide here. Um, 
it, the waterfall starts with um, our calendar year 2019 and an EBITDA of 33.4 million. Uh, we pulled out a couple large um, areas that uh, impact our budget, the behavioral health and the measure A. Um, I do actually have a, uh, an Aaron here. We increased our revenue for behavioral health um, and we didn't update the behavioral health uh, slide here. It says it's gonna be a reduction of 5 million. Um, however, we actually, it's gonna be an increase of 2 million because the contract's gone from 37 to 44 million. And if we can draw down the full contract, we won't see that that uh, five million hit. Measure A, this is an area of risk. Uh, we left it at our old budget, 117.7 million. We have not adjusted it. Um, we did receive more money last year, but we don't think that, that that will happen again. And I'm even concerned that we might not get the whole 117.7. Um, as we right now are thinking we're gonna miss that by five million. We have uh, volume growth, not a lot of change there. Um, we've built in more operational efficiency. Um, the IS and Sapphire costs are something that it's a little cloudy because this was the year of implementation. Uh, we've got some investments in quality and patient experience. We've got the stand-up of um, East Bay Medical Group. Uh, those savings there are mostly related to overhead. And then we've got all the CPI increases that have also been adjusted here and we get to our 1.2 million or just over break even. These are the changes since I last reported to you. Um, we started out at 32.9 um, EBITDA loss and we've uh, managed to get that up to a positive 1.2. Um, we've done that by looking at the additional revenue that we can bill for employed doctors. Uh, we think that will be about 1.2 million. We've increased our uh, strategy and in that 13.7 is the additional behavioral health money I just spoke about, uh, but it also includes increases um, from Alliance and other payers. Um, we have a labor expense uh, reduction. This is mostly in vacancies and colas. So I wanna remind you of that slide that I presented to you where we had the big gap between budget and actual of the FTEs. That's what I mean by the vacancy. It means that we tend to run always not filling all the positions, even though we budget for them. So what we've done is we uh, went back and took a look at those uh, positions and ones that we felt that oh, we're not gonna be able to fill that in the next six months. I mean, it's already July, right? <laughs> and so if we haven't made progress in identifying candidates, it's very likely that half the year that cost won't be there. Uh, and then there's other ones we just thought, you know what? Maybe the best thing to do is not hire this position now. And, you know, we won't eliminate the position so the manager doesn't get, you know, worried about it. We'll leave the position in, in our position control, but we won't show it as um, a filled position in the budget. In regard to the non-labor costs, we've found some opportunity there and we built that in at 2.5 million. We also increased revenue for infusion. We have a new oncologist starting. They won't, it won't be a full year, 
but we went ahead and added some um, volume for that. And that got us to the change of the 34.1 million. The um, pillars, uh, in the interest of time, I think I'll just tell you where we made changes. So this slide is exactly as it was when I presented before. This uh, next slide is also the same. Uh, we haven't made any changes to the quality and patient experience investments. Um, the sustainability does have a couple changes to it. We've got rate increases there. Um, we did uh, pick those up in this version. And we also implemented discretionary time off for directors and above. The, that's about 1.2 million. It, it, you wouldn't have seen the dollar amount on the previous slide. Uh, so there'll be no more PTO for directors and above. So we won't be accruing that liability and incurring that expense. In this slide, there's a couple changes. Um, we did reduce the colas. Uh, there's uh, you know a lot of conversation about equity and the union contracts. Um, so we just put a portion of that in there, a, a reduction. And there's also the delay in hiring that I talked about below. Those are the changes on this slide. The next slide is our, our two by two that we've used to kind of talk about all the different opportunities we have and whether they are low, low effort, high impact, high impact, low effort. Um, depending upon your perspective, you may agree or disagree. Uh, we've had a lot of those discussions internally. Um, this really hasn't changed a lot. So I think I'll go to the next slide. Um, to question, kind of, question, Tim. So yeah. these are things that aren't in the budget yet, right? Some things we've partially put in. Okay. So like the COLA, we didn't put, we didn't assume no COLA for anyone in the whole organization. We just put a, a portion of it into our budget. And, um, and some of them are things we completely put in. Number number one, the infusion services is already there. The, okay. the DTO is already there. So there, these are the things we're working through. And as we work through them and uh, determine they have budgetary impact, we, that's going to be the continued effort between the interim now and the uh, and the final budget. That's the crux of the work. Thank you. And in order to be successful, uh, we wanted to identify executive sponsors uh, along with an operational sponsor and a finance support person. We wanted to make sure people had project plans and timeframes that everybody agrees with. And we want to make sure that we're resourced appropriately. If it takes some staff to get it done, we need to make sure they have it. If it takes other tools, we want to make sure they have it. So we started this um, operational enhancement um, spreadsheet. This is an abbreviated version of it, but I wanted to uh, give the board an idea of, you know, how we're going about making sure we can be successful in these initiatives. Um, you know, length of stay management is a big one that we think 5 million is a reasonable budget impact for that. Um, but we haven't worked through the plan and we don't have agreement with everybody in operations yet to actually build that into the budget. Um, but they're working on it. Uh, Tanvir got identified as the executive sponsor here. It's actually uh, Tangerine would be the, the executive sponsor on this. But there are, is going to be an operational team uh, to support her. 
down the bottom there on uh, John George, we've got lots of opportunity there. We've talked about this before at Finance Committee. We're uh, getting some legs. We're actually moving on a lot of uh, a lot of initiatives. We've got uh, a county representative that's joined the team. So I'm excited that we'll make some good headway there. Uh, over here, we've got the charge capture. I'm a little worried that we might be double counting because it's we've we've uh, we've talked about charge capture and, and through these other initiatives that kind of flows through everywhere. We did bring on somebody to replace um, our director that left. I think it was December. Um, she's interim only. She's an expert in her field of revenue integrity. Um, she's here for six months. She's already made a huge difference. She's done many epic installs. Um, she and I really wanted somebody like this individual because she knows how to work with operations. We need to make sure that we reconcile our charges every day, that we do a census balancing in the hospital. These are the basic tools that make sure that you get your charges right. And you know, we, we came from a place where our clinicians were not doing the charges. So we really need to make sure it's resourced adequately and that we've got procedures written and we got backup procedures and that we're um, that we're hitting, we're getting all charges in every single day. So she's done this before, and I think she's really going to help me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but again, she's only been here a week, so I wanted to give her a little bit of time to <laughs> help me come up with a number. Uh, more hours. <laughs> uh, operational efficiencies. There's, uh, we got quite a bit there. Um, we did put eleven point. Um, well, just about 12 million into the budget. And that has a lot to do with the vacancies I talked about. Um, and, you know, we, we're not just throwing a number in there. We really are looking at those positions and talking to managers to, to uh, build that in there. Um, there's some other things besides the uh, vacancy factor. Uh, supply management is not on here yet, but I know Luis is thinking maybe there's a million dollar opportunity there, but again, in order to get on this slide, we, we want to know exactly how we're going to achieve it. And we want to have the project plan in place. So it takes a little longer to, 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 to build it out. We talked about DTO, and it's in at uh, 1.3 million. Uh, the coal increases, you can see we put 7 million in. Uh, we've got lots more here that don't have numbers. Um, I don't know if you really want me to go through all of these opportunities, but at the bottom is that Alliance grant. Um, you know, we, we've, they've uh, let us know we've got 1.85. Um, potentially there's more there, uh, but they are uh, reviewing it month by month between May and September, assuming nothing changes with them and they can continue to pay that out over the summer. That'll be great. But you know, they're, they have their own you know, set of circumstances to be concerned with. Any questions on any of these? So just a reminder, staff's still working. Uh, this is a representation on, of what they're working on. And between now and the retreat, I think it's fair to assume that they'll probably find some more savings, some more opportunities. Um, and there, so there, there may be an adjustment of the interim budget between now and then. I mean, the, when I look at this, I mean, basically, there's no, there's no margin at all. 
a million dollars in this system is, you know, I think we probably spent that uh, in the hour and a half we've been talking. Um, so we're at zero. Uh, we need to find quite a bit more to get at some cushion. Yeah. To cover the capital in particular, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, and there's some... Uh, Lewis, if I can jump in. Kim, th those are some big numbers there in terms of revenue enhancements. And I, I just, you know, I remember last year we came up with some numbers and really found it hard to actually achieve. Um, so I appreciate your uh, diligence in, in, in saying that they're real, that, that you, you actually see a path to hit these numbers. Um, just, yeah, um, it, it's a daunting task. <laughs> Yes, we've hired a chancellor to renegotiate our commercial contracts. Um, uh, Alliance is also up this year. Um, that'll probably be uh, difficult based on, you know, information we've just heard that the state's taking back one and a half percent retroactively for them. So uh, that might be a little more of a challenge. On the behavioral health side, I know we didn't get everything we wanted in FY20. We know we still operate at a loss, but we did get an improvement and we expect that that improvement should continue and hopefully um, help. We can do a lot of these other things to improve the performance so that we actually lose less money um, at John George. Yeah. So this is my AHS financial health at risk. This is the, you know, the, what keeps me up at night. <laughs> um, yeah, a really helpful list, Kim. I read it three or four times. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, with that, I can move on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's important for all the trustees to familiarize their, themselves with this because this is, these are the moving pieces that we'll probably see, you know, get better or worse over the year. I'm not sure if you're going to mention it later, but you may actually uh, want to mention the uh, the waiver and GPP uh, as, as well. Yes. Uh, so um, we get substantial funding from um, GPP and this waiver is about, what, $66 million? And that has not been approved. So we've built it in our budget because we've been, we've been kind of going with our run rate. Uh, and we expect that it will be, we'd like to expect that it would be approved, but it has not. So it is one of those items on the contingency. So when we come back to the retreat, we'll give the full budget presentation where it will show, you know, our volumes and our, you know, paramix and, and what's contingent in our supplementals. Uh, we'll go through all of that at that time. Um, and so we will move that to the contingency section. So, yeah, if that is not approved, that would be a horrible situation for Alameda Health System. Can I ask this? Is, is that the sort of program that is, would bankrupt all sorts of hospitals across the country if it wasn't renewed? Yes, that's correct. Um, it's a part, it's, it was one of the um, uh, two major components of the 1115 waiver that was always set to end in uh, 2020. The other was Prime, uh, uh, which you... Uh, have been familiar with as well, but GBP uh, over time uh, um, maintained a substantial uh, dollar figure for us. Um, uh, the total was about, um, I think in this budget, um, somewhere around 90 million. Uh, so uh, GPP representing uh, two thirds of that or 80 something million GPP representing a substantial part of it. Um, uh, there was a original thought for a while that uh, some of the changes the state was doing for the Medicaid program via CalAIM were going to present 
clarity on the new ways in which those types of fundings um, uh, that we relied on historically might be uh, attained, including things like expanding Medi-Cal to uh, more, more individuals. And as you know, with respect to the budget uh, and the pandemic, the state has put that on hold. So, so we have a waiver request out uh, with CMS uh, for the entire uh, safety net delivery system, and uh, we're waiting to hear back. Got it. Thank you. So this is the cash flow projection, uh, and now that I know where our cash situation was on June 30, it's a real number in the net negative balance there in FY20 column. Or uh, it's 85.6 million, uh, so that's real. We were, you know, just almost 40 million um, under the limit. So that's our starting point, and then we've improved the budget um, EBITDA, which is uh, the yellow there, the 1.2 million. Um, we are. There's always going to be changes in the balance sheet. Um, you know, if your AP goes up or down, there's a cash flow impact. If your AR goes up or down, there's a cash flow impact. So it's TBA now because I didn't project out a balance sheet for all the accounts, but for the supplementals we did because those are those are the big dollars that that really could change and have a material impact on our budget. Uh, the next section there is the commitments. Uh, we've got um, the EPIC payment there, we've got the Alameda Hospital uh, seismic project, and we've got uh, uh, several other projects that are still, that were approved previously that are not finished that we haven't paid out all the dollars for, so that's the 19.8. We have the current year capital requests at 43.4 million. Those are the ones that the team has identified as essential. And we've got a few more slides on that. Um, that is a number that is higher than we would normally spend, um, but we've, you know, continue to, you know, use duct tape and try to hold things together. And, you know, at some point, you know, that duct tape doesn't work anymore. Uh, so we got 40.8 going out there in net capital requests. And then we've got the recoupments. These are a little lower than what I presented before because we did some true ups based on the CAPH models that helped us a bit. Um, but still, the magnitude is you know not much different and doesn't really change the picture of this. We're just getting a little more precise as we move down the line towards final settlement. And then I've got the county transactions that I've grouped together there at the bottom, the, you know, the pension funding that is due. This is the last payment. And then we've got the capital cost transfer to and from. Uh, for those that might not remember, what, because the uh, county owns our buildings, the portion that we get reimbursed from the government for our cost reimbursement associated with the buildings we give to the county and then we're supposed to be able to access that money to maintain the buildings. Um, but so far we have not been successful in bringing, you know, the 4.4 back into the organization. Um, we are about to settle some additional cost reports, which will mean we would owe them money. Uh, and then again, we really want to make sure we have the process in place to get that back. And then there's the capital reserve fund, which was to help pay for Epic. So they, uh, um, uh, we made a pay payment to the county, and then they would make a payment back as long as we were compliant with NNB. We've made payments. We plan to make payments, but we also plan to get that that uh, 14 million back uh, in 21. 
So you add all that up, and we end up. Kim, Kim before before you go, can you just touch on that again about about that money, uh, the payment back from the county? Uh, it feels like we've been working on that for a really long time. So um, I've asked and and talked to the folks. Uh, you know, I, I meet with several of the county people every month. And I don't think that in the agreement, there's a, you know, there's not like there's a form, we submit a form and then they, you know, transfer the money back. So we've asked them for it, but we just haven't gotten a response back on how mechanically we do it. You know, that's something that we talked about at, at Board of Supervisors at the Health Committee. I, I, I recall, gosh, probably a year and a half ago bringing this problem to their attention and thinking we had a process on 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 track and uh I, I think this is something that might require a higher level of intervention at this point that would be very much appreciated we've we, we've continued to keep it on the radar report on it quarterly in terms of our compliance with the uh the terms that would uh that would uh require these payments to be made uh not just that, but the capital cost piece as well. And uh, yeah, it's not, there's no movement on it. Well, it would seem appropriate to have this part be part of the NMB yeah. conversation in the next couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. So then our net negative balance would grow to 287.3, which is 167.3 million. Um, higher than our limit. Uh, and again, that is with those recoupments, but I also want to remind everybody that the physician spa is still sitting out there at another 30 million, although we don't think we'll get a, a final reconciliation from the state until 2022. So that's, I leave it on there just because it's a big dollar amount and footnote it, but it's uh, not in 21. Uh, typically when we do these presentations, we add a couple more years to it. We don't, um, uh, we will do that for the retreat as well and add that money to the next year. Right. Uh, even though we don't really have a, a long range plan for the next three years, we need to do a new one, which we're working on this year. Can, can you, uh, just, just to call it out for me, Kim, that what would our. Can you ask the question again? Joe, we lost you there. Joe? I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Yes. I was asking what would the NNB be without the recruitment? I still didn't catch that. I think he's asking if, if you add that on 30 million. But it, what, how much are we over the net negative balance? Oh, um, so yeah, so 170 plus 30 would be 200. Yeah, right. Not what that was we're asking. No, 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 no. He's saying without the recruitment, a part of your recruitment. Oh, without it. Be, yes, correct. Yes. Yeah, so then, uh, so basically, we would take 137 there, 140, and take it off. Uh, well, we're over 167, so that will be 30 million. Yes. 
Thanks. I, I realize that we do have to pay the recruitments, but I just, I appreciate that. Um, just, yeah. I like, I like showing them separately. It helps. <laughs> it helps me anyway. No, that's, uh, that's fine. Uh, and the 30 million, you know, if you, if you think about it, go back to the slides I showed you before, it's the step up from COVID, right? So we've been running along pretty much the same every year for, I mean, staying below that limit. And then now all of a sudden with COVID and then you add these recruitments, that's, that's our story. It, I mean, it's, even yep. if I pull last year's presentation, it's the same and probably the year before. So the, the recruitment is the 137,452, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's actually, it actually is separately laid out on the schedule. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Kim, but I think there's also just a much more hidden set of costs that are escalating while we're seeing hits to supplemental income. So, and that's, that's a longer term curve in the wrong direction. So it's not as obvious, but it's there as well. Agreed. Fair enough. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've talked about the labor costs that, you know, this month it was almost 90 cents on the dollar. And even at, you know, 70 cents, it's very high. Okay. okay, was that? So then there's some capital slides here. So here's the, the 43 million um, based on category. Uh, you can see the facilities infrastructure is a big number. And so is the compliance, patient safety and regulatory. Um, interestingly enough, of the 45 million, 43 were um, considered things that we've been deferring and essential and high risk. Uh, here's samples of them. I didn't list out everything here, but um, we've got the Park Ridge bridge roof, um, HVAC upgrades, nurse call system, um, the cooling or air conditioning system uh, for Alameda. We've got quite a bit of IT. Uh, items that are end of life that you know could fail at any time. Um, we've got some epic items that we need to take care of. Uh, Chronos, uh, you know, timekeeping, um, being able to provide tools to better manage labor costs. We've got the um, equipment. Uh, we've got digital X-ray needed at San Leandro, a CT scanner. Um, and we need to work on our sterilization and which is important for joint commission as well. So here's, this is kind of an idea of, of the items, to, you know, to really lay out how important, you know, this stuff is. It's not, <laughs> it's essential. So Kim, under the facility CapEx, uh, K building is uh, Highland, right? Sorry, I just haven't heard that terminology in a while. How yep. much, what's the, what's the amount of that related cost? Uh, I don't have the detailed list with me tonight. I'll just ballpark this. Uh, Luis is on, he may know yeah, it. I would, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this is one of the ones that we've been talking about for some time. This has an impact on the operating rooms, which are located in the K building, which is adjacent to the ACT. And Thank so this is what allows us to maintain control of the humidity and temperature of those spaces, which is a regulatory compliance issue. And so this is one of the ones that we were bringing up when we were meeting with GSA that time, trying to release some of this capital um, uh, uh, reimbursement funding. And so for this project, again, uh, like I said, we're still doing some evaluation 
with our engineers, but as of right now, our, our takeoff on that is uh, you're looking at about almost, almost $2 million. $2 million. Okay, so there's 22.4 that relates to our JPA uh, arrangement. Park Ridge, which we're going to talk about later tonight, Park Ridge roof, Park Ridge uh, nurse call system, and uh, Alameda Hospital cooling tower. So that's, is that in addition to the retrofit work we're doing that I saw in the budget is 10 million that we still have 10 million left? Yeah, no, I want to, I want to, yeah, I'd like to clarify your, your, so what you interpreted there is, is not completely accurate. Uh, The the 24.4 million isn't just for those four projects. It's, it's, those four projects are examples Ah. included in the two, in the 24.4 million. Okay, thank you. I want to make sure I clarified that with you. Right. But your latest statement was accurate. That's uh, separate and distinct from the, uh, the other part, which is uh, uh, specific for the seismic retrofit, which was the, the 20, well, roughly 20 something million, uh, uh, of which about half of that, uh, I think is still left. Okay. And I knew the Alameda hospital costs were high, but, uh, thanks for clarifying. It's not that high. We'll be talking about that in a moment in more detail. Okay. And then this next one just goes out five years, but I don't really feel like it's, um, valuable past maybe three years. Uh, it's hard to, to think past three years when you're. Um, yeah, I noticed that. I, I just don't buy that with the amount of deferred maintenance we've had that uh, starting in 24, it would start going down that much. I, I think, yeah, but that, that's not, that sort of begs for uh, a deeper assessment of our, our needs at some point. Um, so long term, five year assessment at some point, but. That's not necessarily now for this uh, necessary for this process. Yeah, I think our long-range plan might help us with that as well. And then uh, this is by site, just uh, for additional information. Um, this is the total requests, and you've got these. So this in the is where you, you see it if you wanted to cut across. Yeah. Uh, by the individual sites and and, and uh, break down the dollars, then you can see it, at least from the facility side. Right. And then, um, uh, so we are uh, putting forth an interim budget, and the, in doing this, the plan is to hold, to load it and hold the organization accountable to it so that we don't increase our deficits. Uh, we are more than break even. Um, we are going to continue to do our analysis on all the projects that were in the two by two and create project plans and sponsors and make sure they're adequately resources so that we're successful on, uh, on in any item that we put in the budget. Uh, we're working on aligning stakeholders and completing timelines and project plans. Um, we will, um, get more information on those high-risk variables. Those are things like Measure A, COVID, blank commission um, by the fall. So we can um, finalize, oh, Measure A is another big one there. We can finalize that. And then we will put forth a budget in the fall um, for approval. And I also just noted that um, we will start, hopefully, their uh, phase two to support the overall um, planning for 
So when you say the fall, what 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 are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking we'll probably take us through September to pull anything together, and then maybe uh, October. Uh, I don't know, Devecchio, if you want to add anything. No, that's pretty much it. I, I mean, our goal is obviously to to get a final budget as quickly as we can. Uh, uh, the board absent our QPSC is in recess in August and uh, probably useful anyway because we do need the time. Uh, we would then need to have uh, been able to uh, um, finalize as much of this over the month of August's finance committee as it generally is as early in the month of uh, September. So our goal will be to... Uh, uh, get there uh, uh, by that time, but it is it is conceivable that if we need uh, a little bit more time, or there's still some variables that are hanging out there for which we don't feel as comfortable with um, uh, what we have at that time, that we 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 may need a, um, a few more weeks, and then we'd be looking at October. I don't see any reason why um, anything we would find out by that any later than that would be that much more uh, uh, impactful. Uh, we're going to do what we can. And so definitely by October, but we're shooting for September. Yeah, OK. So uh, one, one point of clarification on the the 40, 43 million or whatever it is, the capital equipment needs for the for 21. Um, is the 14 million supposed to be an offset against that if the county frees up the money and we'd be short like 29 million? Or how does that yes. work? Yes, that's a that's an accurate way to look at it. Uh, yes, so you can see that I've put it in there, so it's not going to improve the situation from being um, 167.3 over the limit. Mm -hmm. um, but because you can see, I put the funding in there. I'm yeah, assuming that they're going to give yeah, it. We're banking that that we'll 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 have those commitments honored, and we will get uh, both of those pools of funding. Yeah, so it really does behoove us to have that conversation with the county when we're yeah. talking about the NMB because it's assumed to get this capital. And I, I just want to make the point around the capital. I mean, I do think there are a couple items here. I, I, well, there are a couple items here we're going to talk about tonight, Park Ridge primarily. You know, doing capital work on buildings we don't own. Mm. So we're going to have a conversation about that. But um, besides that, I just wanted to uh, demonstrate the way, the way that I looked at this reading the packet is I went to CapEx must-do uh, high value. And I remember Luis saying something about this, but it is pretty shocking. If you go down to the second bullet, this is on page 18, uh, Windows 7 retirement moved to Windows 10. I don't know nonprofits that are still on Windows 7. My organization... You know, it's a shoestring nonprofit organization did this three years ago. I don't know how we can be HIPAA compliant with this. So I'm just trying to drill the point that none of this is luxury. This is really deferral. And we would be remiss in our responsibility if we didn't um, find a way to, to, to meet these capital expenditures. Can I say uh, we appreciate that? Uh, that was certainly the spirit with which uh, we, we brought these uh, things uh, forward. Uh, um, hardly pressed at any point for us to be thinking about uh, luxury items, but really trying to give our uh, our providers and our staff uh, 
um, the things that they need to function safely. But in this case, I mean, the why you're pointing out here is not just HIPAA compliance, but just information security. I mean, we we uh, are um, not alone across the healthcare space, particularly. Uh, uh, ironically, in the period of the pandemic, a lot of organizations have been uh, subject to um, cyber attacks, uh, and a lot of them coming through uh, the Microsoft uh, uh, platform, and so uh, uh, through you know uh, email and and, and other um, uh, sorts of uh, ways. And so, yeah, uh, we we have we knew that for the last couple of years because we are largely hand to mouth and you know epic funding has been our biggest priority we 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 knew that we were deferring a lot of things um uh, in order to do this but only because we didn't we wouldn't have done it if we had a another choice uh but we're really saying even now knowing that you know capital is uh tough to contemplate and we certainly are presenting a budget here that allows us to cover uh um uh, both our debt and our capital uh from a free cash flow perspective but but we need to put it forward to you because uh, some of the risks are, are are just that high and not doing this and at least not telling you that we need to do this uh would not ever would not allow us to uh with great fidelity answer that question that trustee bouquet often asks which is uh, do you have what you need uh, yeah right yeah, when I saw that Windows 7 item, <clears throat> it, it, I had a flashback to when I had Windows XP, and I was so bummed when they made us upgrade because XP worked better. And I was like, wow, you guys are still on 7? Exactly. I, I, I was just looking, and Windows, Windows 10 came out in July of 2015. We're a few, few years behind the curve. Yeah, the other thing I would um, – so – on slide 15, I just want to point out that um, a couple of us, a couple of trustees, including myself, have been advocating strongly for financial infrastructure improvements. And I just want to note that that staff is proposing significant infrastructure improvements there, timekeeping, cost accounting, financial reporting, and business analytics. The last one, maybe in a, in a sense, being the most important, because we really lack the tools. Uh, Trustee Peterson and I have had several conversations about this, of needing to be able to really understand the analytics of our business so that we can make really difficult decisions about what we value and what we can't value anymore. Um, kind of doing that in an in a unlit cave right now. So I just want to point out that staff has included um, – improvements there in the CapEx budget assumptions. Any other questions? Are the trustees uh, comfortable with the process we're moving forward on? Yes. I guess my only question is how does this tie to the strategic planning process or what, what's ha what, what does that do to the timeline there? Do we have an update there? Uh, I can share a little bit. So, so contextually, um, you know, when we when we presented, you might recall uh, during the um, the February retreat, we had laid out a um, a kind of glide path to strategic planning, and the first couple of months um, was going to be kind of two different sort of. Um, I call them sort of uh, uh, not philosophical, but really strong organizational underpinning kind of assessments. Uh, one uh, is efforts that have continued but not uh, aren't quite done yet, but uh, pleased with the progress. And that was our 
health equity, diversity, and inclusion work to kind of provide a lens and framework to uh, uh, a budgeting or a um, strategic planning process going forward. The other, you'll recall, was a values um, uh, engagement that we were uh, uh, undergoing to really get at uh, really calling out opportunities to align uh, our kind of um, espouse values with resources that we uh, devote to uh, um, uh, things that we want to do uh, for the community, how we are investing in that, all those sorts of things, and then have the strategic plan follow on to a um, long-range financial plan that set us up for um, the ability to uh, budget. So we were kind of wanting to start the strategic planning effort like right around this time, the July-August window, uh, to go into the November-December window, um, uh, wrapping that up with you, and then having a budgeting process for fiscal year 22 which would be coming uh, right on the heels of uh, using that framework. So uh, obviously after February, you know, something big, uh, you maybe heard about it happened in March um, and we're all kind of behind a little bit. So things are uh, moving forward. The values work, I'll be honest, uh, uh, we've really put it on ice uh, for now. The heady work has been moving forward. In the retreat, we we're going to give you a brief update to say uh, uh, we expect, though, and we would really uh, recommend that we move forward with the strategic planning effort. Um, it's just still tenuous for when we would do it now that, you know, I would say two weeks ago, my thoughts would have been to you. We're stabilizing. Maybe we are you know, getting to a point from the uh, pandemic perspective that we can we can start to gain some clarity and certainty around what's happening. And then, you know, uh, St. Quentin happened, uh, spread has happened as relaxations have occurred. And so so still it's a really in my mind, uh, um, I would love to hear your perspective, but it's a it's a tough environment in which to do planning uh, on a long range basis, given uh, so much uncertainty with the current environment we're in. So, so I don't know. I mean, our, our plan was to really uh, just give you this context at the end of the month as a part of the retreat agenda, and and then ask you, you know, do we do we just continue with a kind of um, um, status quo from a strategic perspective, just kind of you know we're continuing operationally for the year. Um, um, or do we really try to launch into a you know three to five year plan uh, at this juncture, or do we wait to see what's going to happen in the next couple of months? I think the hold on tight and pray um, strategy is probably the most likely. Sorry, I just I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean that's how we feel. It's, it's kind of tough. I mean, it feels a little. I don't want to say tone deaf because I, I think having a strategy and a long range strategy is very important. Developing that in a moment when you're holding on, I think is where I would agree with you. It's tough. To, it, it feels tone deaf. It's like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen next month. And we're trying to do all these exercises to forecast what's going to happen two to three yeah. years. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we know we know the improvements that we need to make to our system, you know, whether it's throughput or you know access issues or whatnot. And having a strategic vision in regard to those big components is, 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 is fine. But having measurable you know, benchmarks, I think, is impossible right now. The, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, uh, the other thing, and we're going to bring this up, um, 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 Kim mentioned the Whipley piece is sort of the next step of, and, and really what we're hoping, uh, although this is your call, is that that work will focus on what Trustee Sequin was just talking about, which is just helping us with internal uh, uh, capabilities that also get to kind of this uh, better analytics uh, on the financial side, both operationally and uh, from a governance perspective. But as you know, uh, one of the things we have to talk about is uh, the uh, civil grand jury report and, and the findings there and the recommendations um, uh, really do speak to some of the 
the things that you talked about in your last retreat, which is both the finances and the uh, governance of the organization. And those are big pieces that kind of provide uh, a, a really strong uh, or cl clarity around a framework in which you plan to. And so those are some really tight recommendations that really get at operational pieces and budget pieces for this year alone, not really with, with a strategy. So, so I would, I would propose and I, I plan to propose to you at the retreat that we really spend this time too, in addition to trying to wrap up this year's budget, doing that with an eye towards answering those questions about uh, some of the uh, interplay here between the two entities uh, from both the governance and the finance perspective that would inform a strategy going forward too. Yeah, thank you for that. I guess I guess my point of bringing it up is I think that we as a board were trying to kind of, ha uh, I think, embark on a process where in the budget and the strategic planning, you know, where we're, we're thinking about how those really tie together in terms of our assessment of how we're going to make tough decisions, right? So kind of the tying of the two. Yep. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to delay a strategic planning process in the midst of a crisis. And I think we will we will be joining, you know, many others that are doing the exact same thing. And I think that that's um, yeah. expected and fine. I think I, I just, I guess, felt the need to call that out, um, you know, because I think we still have sort of the intent around how we want to maybe think about some of these um, kind of the framework, I guess, yeah. um, for the future. Yeah. And I, and I guess the other thing I would say is that I'm glad to hear that the heady work is, is, is continuing despite kind of the pause on the strategic planning work, because I think that in the midst of the crisis is only um, uncovering or, you know, uh, yeah, I guess revealing sort of another um, disparity in the making um, that is directly related to this crisis. Um, but I think reminds us that we kind of can't take our eye off the ball in terms of um, paying attention to sort of our um, our disparities work and how how strategically and also resource wise those things are very related. So just kind of wanted to, to call that out. Absolutely, and and thank you for that too. Yeah, I would totally agree. I should say uh, for for the purpose of the board, like we do have in this version of the budget, although we did, uh, I just sent an email this morning, uh, dropping it by a bit. Uh, but we did um, because we were contemplating a strategic planning effort. We had set aside uh, half a million dollars in this year's in this budget that you see before you. So it is embedded in there to support that work. Uh, so that's. 500k that we uh, just this morning dropped down to 375 uh, just because we keep trying to find money where we can uh, and we thought if we do do anything it'll be for the latter half of the year so we want to keep some uh, uh, placeholder for it. The other part of it which is another agenda item you'll be discussing uh, during the retreat is um, the uh, report and the recommendations that came out of the joint task force between this board and the Alameda Healthcare District. What we know at this juncture and it's part of the discussion is that uh, the district uh, has set aside, I want to say $750,000 out of the parcel tax dollars, which is about $6 million uh, for consultant work too. Uh, and part one of the recommendations uh, uh, that you'll be discussing um, uh, was to engage either Kaufman Hall or somebody else to do that uh, kind of planning work to look at uh, services that could be uh, enhanced there to make uh, the at Alameda, I mean, to uh, make it more uh, financially viable in the short term. But then also there's some work to look at the, the, the longer term, uh, uh, um, I want to say feasibility assessment of the finances, I believe, for uh, funding a long-term plan. So, so 
my point in mentioning that is that's yet another factor that I hope that the street, the, the retreat kind of helps to provide clarity and guidance on uh, how to frame any of these efforts in a much more aligned manner that would help us to figure out what we should be doing going forward. So just so you're aware of that. Yeah, I, I just want to under, underline the we're, we're in a moment now where the uh, health disparities and social inequities are really in front of it's like a window, right? That sort of got open and we're 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 all seeing it. We all you know, some of us have been working in it for a while and had a lot of evidence in the coal mine that was there, but basically it's very apparent. And so I'd hate to um so I would, let me just put it positively. I think we should take advantage of the of the crisis to make headway there. And I think and I could go on and on, but I'll just make this last point that basically um, I think it's we need to find pragmatic ways to test uh, questions like racial um, equity in our system. You know, are all our programs of, available to the people who need it the most? Are they providing the sort of assistance that people need? Are people having the sort of experience that they need to have? Uh, to, to move their lives forward um, in light of the fact that they're having Lewis, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but somebody's typing and not on mute, and it's 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 skipping you out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think I think they went on mute. So I I, I just want to say that at the retreat, I'd like to have some practical conversation about how we're going to um, implement evaluation within our system of. Um, how we're doing towards addressing disparities and reaching for racial equity. Uh, thank you for that. Um, um, we will we'll be talking to the uh, um, executive committee on their retreat agenda soon. Um, I will, uh, Trustee uh, Hernandez is, uh, I don't think she's on the committee or the call. Um, we, we have been... Uh, Trustee Peterson's here, though. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say we've been co-chairing the heady work oh, and to yeah. kind of give you that context. Um, what what we think is kind of where we are now, we did this big uh, report out, uh, kind of interim report out with the group last week. Um, there's a little bit more refining they have to do to kind of get to their set of recommendations. My, uh, my guess is we won't be at a space where we can... Uh, have a robust discussion of the order that you just described uh, at uh, at this month's retreat, but in your in the fall retreat, which if we go into October will align with uh, presentation and that, budget. And that's that fine. Be- I just don't want us to get uh, overwhelmed and lose this opportunity to get that focus. Completely agree. And, and, and what I can say to you is in the interim, we are, we are in fact doing that. So some of the things that, uh, programs that we're looking at, we're trying to, we, we moved away from, as you recall in the last meeting, uh, we had a statement, um, or a uh, kind of a framework that we're using to guide that work uh, that uh, Trustee Hernandez uh, drafted. We reviewed that with the group, and it's like moving away from talking about kind of an equity lens, uh, but talking about kind of an equity strategy. So looking at everything from the perspective of what is the impact from a health equity or diversity and inclusion perspective. And and I can assure you we're starting that, or we're, we're more robustly beginning to apply that kind of framework now, and we can share more um, um, as we go along. Great, thank you. And I- and I can assure you the quality committee will keep its eye on this. It's the third E and steep. We will continue to obsess about it. Yeah, and of course, quality is the other piece that we don't want to, uh, you know, it's the other side of uh, 
strategy that's necessary to keep our eye on. So if that's, that's I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about that, Trustee Bouquet at the, the retreat. Yeah. Okay, so um, are we ready to consider a motion? Uh, someone want to make a motion? We could have a little more discussion after that, but uh, want to move us towards uh, approval of the interim budget as it stands. Basically, the recommendation would be to move this on to the Board of Trustees. Well, so uh, move. How long, how long are you seeing this preliminary budget in place? Are we talking about three months? Are we talking about through the end of September? Or? That's what we're, we're sorry. That was the um, uh, response to the other question. So yeah, it, it's a it's an interim budget for the full year. It is not uh, just for a partial period. It's a full year at this rate. And then what we're trying to do is uh, with the final budget come back with a full year. Obviously, with a couple of the years already uh, played out, but uh, with a full year uh, projection for where we'd be at the end of the year. And yeah, we're we're targeting September. It. There's a possibility we'll go into October, but uh, we're targeting September. I, I just, I just personally would have a problem going beyond the end of October, oh. about, you know, implementing a, a budget. As, as would I. Uh, so yeah, and I, I, I can, I can commit to you. We will have a uh, full budget before or, or for the end of October. I'm shooting for sooner. Okay. Yeah, and there's the hybrid option too. You could have some actions that we take in September, and then yeah. we, you know, I mean, it. Just, yep. There's some options. Yeah, I appreciate that. Fair enough. Well, I, I would suggest then that we approve this interim budget, you know, with the understanding that we'll we'll have it replaced by the end of October. Or, I'd support I'd support that motion. And and if I may add, I mean, a big part of it actually. So so uh, hate to do this, but but I think it's really uh, important. Um, uh, what we what we're trying to call out here is uh, some pieces of this uh, really do fall into that realm of we need some additional help to escalate this, and they do fall in the realm of our our our, our discussions, including our meeting next week with the county to figure out how we how we call together what we can do and what we need to collectively do to move this uh, uh, to to shore up. The opportunities that we have here so so i just want to be clear that there's a little bit of we need your help too to get that done as quickly as possible we're all in this boat yeah okay so it sounds like there's a motion uh is there a second second okay all those approving moving this forward to the board of trustees with the expectation that we'll have a, a final budget in, in october by october mm -hmm. yeah hi any opposed? Okay, so we've completed that. Let's move on to item D, discussion insurance coverage and from our general counsel. Yes, there was actually a report that is uh, in the packet. I don't really have um, much to add on to that uh, unless there are any specific questions that any of you might have, you know, regarding uh, this particular area of our finances. You know, what I will say is that, you know, like um, a lot of other industries, the insurance industry is currently in a state of flux and uncertainty about, you know, how the pandemic will actually and ultimately play out, you know, with regards to things that they uh, typically look at. Uh, what I will tell you is that, you know, there was a substantial increase <clears throat> in the premiums for uh, under reinsurance treaties, which occurred or is affecting this year. And, you know, basically the way insurance works is, you know, the insurance you buy is is part of the equation, but, you know, the bigger part is the reinsurance, which basically is the insurance for the insurance. And like I say, there was a 
substantial increase in that, you know, understanding or anticipating that there were a lot of, you know, unknown or uncertain factors that were related to the pandemic. Um, fortunately, we have, we did not experience uh, all of that increase, you know, in terms of uh, our uh, organizational insurance, you know, as I pointed out in the memo, we are basically having a small increase of about 0.8%, uh, which is uh, pretty good overall. But this is a topic that's going to continue uh, to potentially you know, cause some concern um, because it's multifaceted. And in the HR committee yesterday, you know, I did, um, you know, add some comments, you know, regarding, for example, workers' comp insurance and uh, you know, the fact that, you know, the pandemic, you know, has had some positive and negative effects on the factors which, you know, influence, you know, workers' comp claims and workers' compensation costs, uh, which makes it difficult, you know, to sort of predict, you know, okay, well, what's going to happen with workers' compensation insurance? You know, will it go down because, you know, fewer people are doing things that are uh, in a workplace that may cause injury? Or will it go up, you know, because, you know, they're now you know, basically, you know, lying on a lounge chair at home, you know, doing uh, computer work and, you know, increasing the likelihood of, you know, repetitive stress injuries. So, so there's more to come on this as far as it goes, but, you know, for at least this year, this is not, you know, creating uh, an additional worry uh, for us. And uh, hopefully uh, that will uh, be the same when we get to this point next year. So unless there's any questions, that's all I had to say about this. Thank you. Uh, any, any questions? Okay, thank you for that report. Um, let's move on to action items related to contract approval. Item E1, California Billing Services, LLC. And I think Kim is presenting on this one. Um, yeah, so this is a, we're, we've used this vendor in the past um, to supplement our revenue cycle team uh, we use them as needed. Um, they've been a, a, a good vendor for us, so we're extending the length of the contract through uh, June 30. Uh, and you know, we're if we don't need to spend this money, we won't spend this money. But uh, we do want to keep this uh, this uh, vendor in place. Okay. Thank you. Uh, a motion. Do we want to discuss and then do them in bulk or individually? Individually. Uh, we're going to have a long discussion on the next one, so I think okay. we're going to do it individually tonight. I move approval. Second. Uh, and there's a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, passes unanimously. Let's go on to E2. Uh, this is going to take a little time. Um, okay, so uh, Luis, can you take us through this? Great. Yes, sir. Thank you. So uh, I put together a few slides here that uh, hopefully you all can see my screen. Is that correct? We yeah. can. Okay. So uh, I've got a few slides here just to really bring back to, to, the, to the board uh, some history and, and uh, some details around our arrangement and how we have this relationship with Park Bridge. Uh, so uh, as, as you all know, um, you know, we currently uh, occupy that that uh, that building that's just across the bridge there, the Park Street Bridge. Hey, Louis, uh, for, I'm sorry. Yes. Can, can you put it in presentation mode so we, we may be able to see it a, a bit better? Thank you. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. So uh, we have the, uh, the you know uh, on the other side of Park Street Bridge, uh, we have the building uh, that we've been occupying there, and this was a. 
you know, where we are, where we have our skilled nursing facility, 120 best uh, uh, skilled nursing facility. So formerly Water's Edge, now currently Park Bridge. Uh, we currently pay $732 per bed. So the lease arrangement is based on per bed or $87,958 a month. So this equates to a little over a million dollars a year. Uh, the lease term is for 20 years through 2032. Uh, and all of the responsibilities under this lease lie under AHS. So unlike some of the you know more traditional leases, when you're uh, uh, you know having e even under a triple net setting, uh, you you know the the building owners have some responsibility, specifically when it comes to some of the major infrastructure and the building envelope itself. Uh, in this particular case, it's not uh, that way. So uh, just uh, some history here. Uh, this 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 lease has kind of gone through various iterations. Uh, and so this was originally uh, through the, you know, through the FMA Laguna Foundation or the Zimmerman family and on the island, uh, they, uh, you know, they own the building. Uh, this lease uh, from C. Zimmerman uh, to L. Zimmerman, uh, they have a lease that, go, uh, that goes through 2036 for 25 years uh, at an annual rate of 288,000. That lease uh, from C. Zimmerman to D. Zimmerman uh, then is subleased to uh, the district uh, where this was done uh, as, as part of, um, you know, their, their um, rollout of, of Park Bridge. And so uh, the district took on that, uh, that space, that lease for 20 years, uh, and then uh, they then moved forward with uh, subleasing that to the, to the health system uh, upon uh, the JPA. So when we had uh, the JPA signed between Alameda Health System and, and the district, we assumed that lease and continued with those terms moving forward through 2032, as you see here. And there are some consecutive five-year terms that could be done as, as part of renewals. Uh, but again, still through 2032. So again, this was le uh, the owners. They leased it to one of their different foundations, subleased it to uh, the district, who then subleased it to AHS as part of the JPA, uh, having uh, AHS taken on some of that responsibility. One of the points that I would make is that under this lease, uh, you know, it, it's directly tied to the JPA. So there is language in that lease amendment uh, and that sublease agreement that if the JPA was no longer in effect, uh, that lease would be uh, null and void. So, uh, you know, it's not that we have assumed full responsibility. We just have that responsibility as long as we are part of the JPA. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we did, and, and I've been, you know, we've been looking at this for some time because of the current framework of that lease, uh, recognizing that AHS uh, is fully responsible for any and all maintenance required in this building. Uh, you know, I wanted to see, well, what are some of our options, recognizing that this lease continues to go out all the way to 2032. And so we uh, solicited some, some counsel from our, one of our external uh, providers and uh, you know they gave us some you know we, we at a high level and, and all these would, would require us to, to look at this uh, much deeper but uh, there are some some uh, options that we could consider and that's again as you see on the screen there either subleasing it yet to someone else for healthcare use or we can sublease it for a different type of use uh, but both of those would require us to, to re all of these would require us to uh, relocate those patients to a different location 
Uh, we can negotiate an early termination, but they, again, terms to be defined uh, in that sense as it relates to what would be the penalties or what would be the, the, the circumstances for it, being able to do that. Or we would be able to, you know, maybe possibly have a conversation about purchasing the property. And again, only if they had the, um, the interest and intent of uh, selling the property. So, uh, you know, this is this is one of those things where we're, we're, we're trying to navigate, uh, obviously, and recognizing the importance of, you know, the services that we provide on the island, the services that we provide to our skilled nursing population and the impact that the skilled nursing facilities have on our day-to-day uh, -day operations, specifically with a continuum of care, moving our patients from uh, our acute care facilities to our skilled nursing facilities as appropriate. And so, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to, you know, bring to your attention was, you know, some of this history. And, and again, we certainly want to make sure that we're we're looking at and, and uh, continuing to explore, you know, what are our long-term options? And this may be a, a deeper and a further conversation that can happen in a different setting, but I just wanted to refresh your memory as we're looking at this, uh, this request, um, you know, that uh, that's the current framework and how we are uh, currently managing uh, that, that environment. Uh, so with that, uh, I would, I would, um, I would say that uh, the, the, the project itself is something that uh, isn't new to any of you. I've brought this and I've brought you uh, some, some details uh, over recent months uh, and really over the last year. Uh, this, you know, this facility has a, a, an infrastructure that is extremely uh, you know, old and, and has been impacted by just the variety of conditions. And so we have uh, the roof specifically where we've been you know, trying to perform uh, repairs uh, over the last several years, uh, specifically during the rainy season, when we, uh, you know, these, these issues are, are identified and surfaced, and so we've performed a variety of repairs over the last couple of years. But now we've gotten to the point where we actually have a few of our rooms uh, closed down uh, because of the fact that they're not able to be used uh, for for you know the damage that's been caused by these by these rains and by the leaks that have existed. When we went through this project, um, you know, we started off with an original estimate of about, uh, you know, $2.5 million. Uh, that's when we, uh, you know, had someone come out. We had our design team come out and, and do an evaluation of the space at a high level uh, and, uh, and, you know, continue to, you know, give us a sense of a rough order of magnitude. As we continued digging in and we started looking at building and putting together uh, a, a set of building documents or construction documents uh, that would allow us to submit for approval with Oshpod, uh, that obviously entailed a much deeper analysis of the environment. Uh, as a result of that, we uh, recognize that uh, the infrastructure itself of the building was in extremely poor shape, uh, down pretty much to the framing of the facility. And so, you know, that, that building has a flat roof, as you, I, I think, hopefully, as many of you have driven across the Park Street Bridge, uh, it's right there off to your left-hand side. It's got a flat roof. It's currently, uh, it currently has uh, some solar panels up on the roof. And so, again, just uh, uh, old uh, technology. Obviously, it's, it's, it's been weathered and uh, severely impacted. And so, as we were looking through that, uh, you know, we're going to have to take this, the scope of work then uh, increased, re re resulting in, in a much higher cost, which is what was being presented to you all now. Uh, we, we had to make some adjustments after Oshpod review to bring certain things up to code, uh, recognizing the age of the facility. So it, again, it's something that we had an initial budget. Uh, we, uh, after further and deeper analysis, resulted in a much higher uh, request and need 
to affect the repairs and to complete that project. Uh, we've presented that. We, ha we have, um, you know, a contractor that has been uh, identified uh, and which is a part of your package and being presented for your consideration. And so we're, we're, we're you know, we're wanting to, to move this forward. Uh, it's, it's extremely challenging, uh, you know, because of the fact that, uh, well, we just talked about it. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, our, our, our own financial challenges, uh, you know, but this is infrastructure that is necessary, but it makes it more, more complex yeah. when you're doing work on a building that, uh, that you have no ownership in. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, Difficult, but I'm, I'm you know, looking at it from the perspective of how do we continue to support, uh, you know, the services that we provide in that area, uh, in that facility, in that building, and how we continue to advance our, our work. Well, we said, I have a couple questions to try to get at real costs here. So we're at $5.3 million for the construction work. Are there other costs that are not assumed in this that are related to design and uh, you know, pre-development sort of work necessary to get to the construction. Yes, sir. That that's correct. So all we're presenting to you in this uh, in this uh, document in the summary is the scope of work for the construction itself to affect the repairs. Uh, outside of this, we've we've incurred already some expenses related to the design, engineering, and permitting fees for Oshpod. What do you think those additional fees will total? Uh, I don't have an exact number, but I, I want to say that, uh, and I can get that to you all, but I want to say that it was a uh, uh, couple hundred thousand dollars. And then, uh, so there, there are code issues that, that have come up through Oshpot. Has there been a, re a code review done with the city of Alameda, or is that a bypass because this is an Oshpod, Oshpod process? Right, the, the the entity that that has jurisdiction under the project is Oshpod. So all permitting and all plan design and review goes through Oshpod. I see, but it's possible that when you open up walls and ceilings, actually in this case, you could find further issues. Is that correct? Uh, that is always the case with these types of, of projects and, and, and the age of the of the building. Uh, you know, hence the reason why the 5.3 million actually includes a contingency, an owner's contingency, uh, to account hopefully for you know if those uh, and in the event that those may uh, may surface. So the total project was actually 4.6 million and 600,000 for owner contingency. That would allow for any of these types of issues. Like I said, we've been we've tried to be as thorough as we can. Um, you know, without, you know, trying to minimize the disruption to the day-to-day -day activities of that facility. Uh, but again, you know, with an, uh, a building of that age, yeah. uh, there's always unknowns. That's, that's, that's over 10%, actually. It's probably 12% uh, contingency. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I, had a, I had a couple of questions myself. Yeah, uh, how did it get from the, the 288 to the million? Is Is it you know, you showed that the original lease in 2011 was at 288,000 a year. Well, so so yeah, so that's why I was I was trying to present the the the, the layers of of how this this agreement is structured. So you have uh, one of the Zimmerman foundations that's that's leasing it to a different Zimmerman foundation uh, for 288,000. Then that that in the, you know that entity is subleasing to the district. And so they subleased to the district for a different rate, which was per bed. And then and that rate hasn't changed. I'm sorry. And that rate hasn't changed to get at Trustee Peterson's question. 
that rate uh, from, well, it, it, it did, it changed. It went from, so the, the 288,000 was from one foundation to the other. Well, no, but in terms of how much the hospital system was, how much we're paying and how much uh, Alameda Hospital District was paying, that that waterfall hadn't changed. That's Correct. It's, 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 it's with, you know, with the exception of the yearly escalators that are built into the lease, yeah, it's pretty much the same. So that's where you see the delta. Of, so from 288, it went to, you know, like 900,000, uh, you know, 800 and something, 900,000 when uh, the district took over that sublease. And then over the last several years, uh, that uh, that AHS has taken over that lease or assumed the, that sublease. Uh, we're up to uh, a little over a million dollars now a year. And and does the, I, I realize it's a triple net lease, but does it have any provision that if we were to terminate the lease, we would get some credit for the unamortized um, cost of the roof? Uh, unfortunately, not. Okay, and. Uh, and it's, it's licensed off of Alameda as a distinct part-skilled nursing facility. Is that how it works? That is correct, yes. That is one of our distinct part SNFs tied to the license of Alameda Hospital. And we have a similar relationship with the SNF at Fairmont, I believe, don't we? Uh, well, okay, so the, the, the in, in the sense of, to answer your question, in the sense of relationship, what you mean is that our Fairmont Skilled Nursing Facility is also considered a distinct part SNF that is tied to the license of Highland Hospital. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I, um... So, uh, can I, uh, <clears throat> let me understand, can I just get a little bit, can you go back over the our obligation to stay in this lease. Um, it's married to the JPA. So there's no way to terminate, really. Uh, no, uh, no, Trustee Debris. So, I, well, again, there, there, there's always a way. It's just understanding what the magnitude and what the impact would be of that lease, right? So, uh, of that termination. So, we you know the, the the various options that were presented by uh, our, our outside counsel, and like I said, rec recognizing that we need to dive deeper into those if we want to explore one of those. It would be the potential of subleasing the space for continued use under healthcare, subleasing it for a different type of use, uh, which would require approval from the current owners, uh, or an early termination, uh, which again, uh, the impact of that would be yet to be determined. Um, and so we would wanna you know, see what that is. I, I do know that the so contract- the termination would, Just to clarify, the termination would have to be a, the termination of the GPA. Uh, well- It could be a, a pull out. No, we could we could do a termination of the lease itself. Oh, separately. Okay. Yes, but we would need to find a different location for those uh, those residents of the of the skilled nursing facility. Of uh, and and there is language in the uh, in the lease, which is again why I stated that terms to be determined. There is some language that speaks to some penalties for early termination. Uh, and there's a very complex formula and calculation on how that comes about. But again, I don't have that exact number at this point, but. It is an option. Uh, it's just, again, recognizing that, well, okay, if we just have to terminate, where do we move to? Uh, and, and, then, and then equally understanding. Luis, where are those penalties? So that relates to the owners of the property? Um, I'm sorry, Trustee Shaquin. So you're saying that uh, the penalties would be paid to uh, our, our current sublease, yes, with uh, the, the owners of the property. Okay. And there's and there is there is a shortage of skilled nursing facilities in California, period, and especially in the Bay Area. So it isn't like there's other look 
you know, it's not like there's other locations out there that aren't that are available. Uh, and the company I work for, we looked into the cost of, uh, of building a new skilled nursing facilities, and it's you know you're talking in the fifteen hundred twenty million dollar range plus. If you could, did you ever, did you ever site, that's just for the construction. Ross, did your company ever look into the co the cost of converting uh, an old motel? into a skilled nursing uh, you know under this under the requirements that are required by oshpod it would be prohibitive because yeah. we got a lot of vacant hotels and owners would love to sell them right now yeah but i mean there's a lot of, there's a lot of vacant to, current, to meet the current seismic requirements and to meet all the other well not the require you know the various requirements for skilled nursing it's just really really expensive well, it would, yeah, it would, it would certainly require some in-depth review. Uh, one of the good things is that skilled nursing facilities are are not subject to the same guidelines as the acute care setting for seismic compliance under 2030. Um, but again, there's still some other requirements as it relates to infrastructure and things of that nature that we would have to evaluate closely. Um, but you know, and, and and another point I would make, just and again, just I'm highlighting the data. I want to obviously, you know, provide you as much detail as possible. Uh, to inform your decision, and that's you know th this this project. Uh, you know, as I heard Trustee um, Peterson indicate that you know the costs of 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 you know what he explored in the past for a new facility. You know, one of the things that I would highlight is that this building has a, a number of other needs, and so when I look at the total number of needs, uh, and you're looking at you know this roof, which you're looking at spending, you know five to five to six million dollars. Uh, then you have a nurse call system that needs to be replaced. That's nearly a million dollars. And then you have a kitchen that needs to be updated. That's, you know, almost half a million dollars. And then you have, you know, uh, uh, a main drain system that, that needs to be updated. Um, so again, when you start adding all that up, you know, you're, 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 you're spending a lot of money uh, in a building that, that is, you know. Again, that we don't own. <laughs> A service, a service that's essential to us, but uh, but in a building that is is owned by someone else. Have we done a thorough uh, property assessment? I mean, uh, we basically, sort of have a ridiculous lease here where we we're the owner, we're fully responsible. So we act. Like we should try to figure out what our obligation is uh, for the next ten years if we continue. We're the owner with no equity. <laughs> I'm sorry. I asked a question. Yeah. I can, can I? I'm sorry. Um, can you ask that again, Trustee Shapiro? Yeah, I'm just wondering, have we had a professional property assessment, someone to come in to do uh, a maintenance assessment on the property to determine, you know, what's the deferred maintenance condition, what will it cost to get it to uh, a reasonable condition? I, I have not, uh, and, and that's something that we can certainly move forward with. Uh, I, I can bring someone in to do a facility condition assessment is what that, that is, is called, and uh, they will look at the entire building, look at the infrastructure, look at the systems and equipment, and then they will provide a, a detailed report of, of what the, all the needs are uh, for, for the facility to, to, to really, not, it's not even bringing it up to code, it's just to, to, to address any exactly. of the deferred maintenance issues. So we got an eight million dollar burden on a property we don't own. Yeah, that's what we know. Yeah, I'm. You know, what's under the iceberg? What's the other two thirds? That's what I'm wondering about. Yeah, you rip off that roof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to be going down to the studs, and then you go, oh wow, we found termites too. Um, 
<clears throat> so yeah, you're up to seven, eight million. Hey, quick question. How many beds is it again? 120 beds, licensed beds. And are, are they all uh, two bedroom rooms? Are there some that are larger? Uh, they're all two bedroom rooms. Okay. And how many beds uh, did we leave behind in, uh, in, in the rehab unit at Fairmont? Well, it, it, so it was a very different layout. Uh, we were, you know, the, the rehab uh, uh, unit was licensed for 50 beds, but, uh, it, you know, it, the space is, is, is configured very differently. They were, they were very large wards where you fit uh, six to eight beds, which would not be conducive to, to this, uh, you know, to this type of, of care uh, being delivered without some, some modification. Yeah, I, I would say moving into, moving into anything that's more than two beds is like crazy. Well, I'm sorry, if, if I could, we were talking about using the old Fairmont space, you know, because it's not being used now as, you know, one potential we talked about was expanding SNP because the SNP capacity in this county is really low and so it needs to grow. So um, could we convert that to a facility for $5 million that could handle these patients and then go, you know, look, look for something else to expand? I, I just... This, this doesn't feel right. I would just I would just say that um, and again I just want to remind everyone uh, you know th th there are some I mean it it's nothing's ever easier right when we're dealing with these types of things it, uh, the complexity is around it but we, we need to remember that you know the distinct part designation is tied to Alameda Hospital and so uh, there are some requirements as far as how much distance you can be away from the facility and so of the licensed facility uh, so we have to you know we have to explore all those things that may not be an option for us to just say we're moving Park Bridge to Fairmont we have talked about ex expanding skilled nursing facility uh you know uh our footprint uh at fairmont but that's essentially would be growing what we currently have there in place just down the hall um so so you know again there's there's other factors to consider just recognizing that this uh, the distinct part designation for our skilled nursing facility there at park bridge is very significant our, our reimbursement as compared to a privately owned skilled nursing facility we get paid almost double what yeah. they do and so because it's connected to the hospital that yeah. is correct because it is a distinct part and so of the facility, the licensed facility. And so our reimbursement is significantly higher. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's what, what's double. Our, what's our reimbursement at Fairmont for SNF work there? Uh, it, it's the same. They're both distinct parts. So, I mean, our, our, our facilities, you know, our reimbursement. Just for those expand facilities. as a system and, and yeah. develop more SNF beds to replace this out. But, but you're talking about, you know, there's 120 beds at, uh, you know, at the Alameda Park Bridge, yeah. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to minimize the heavy lift this is, but quite frankly, there's hostage taking here, and and uh, we're in financial trouble. So I'm saying. So let me ask this question, Louise. Where are you know what's the magnitude of crisis here? Do we have to do this work this year, or can we buy ourselves some time and uh, do some investigation for options? Right. Uh, well, I, I would I would say that's that's uh, that's a great question, and and what I would say is that uh, I, again it, it is an urgent issue that we we've been kicking down the road for several years. Uh, could we wait and can we look at uh, you know certainly dedicating some time over the next you know six months next year to uh, to look at uh, you know what are our options and alternatives? Uh, certainly, we can do that. Um, you know, we're, we're at the mercy of, you know, how strong is going to be the rainy season. 
and and how we then mitigate those those events when they do occur and and like we've been doing over the last you know obviously the last couple of years um so uh the answer to your question i i, I don't want to dance around it i want to say yes we can hold off uh but it's something that that we need to decide we need to decide soon i think i uh, if i may chime in uh louise would i think it'd be fair to say uh uh yeah there's just as with anything there's some risks we could we could hold off it doesn't mean that we would forego any additional costs if we have you know patches or other uh, repairs that we have to make so it is a you know it's a calculated uh and, and a reasonable thing to consider i believe but it would be a calculation of one you know either we get through or skirt through without any uh, weather impact and we don't have anything and maybe we can avoid costs or two we do uh, but it's of the magnitude uh, similar to past years where we've been able to invest a few hundred uh, thousand dollars in it and um, uh, keep it, you know, basically patched up and gummed along. And while we um, explore with you and with your permission, uh, what other options might exist uh, uh, and all the other considerations that you pointed out uh, in terms of exit clause uh, and uh, other penalties, um, you know, to the earlier point, exploration of uh, collaboration to expand these beds or services uh, somewhere else. Uh, I would add, throw in another one. If you were to get a an investment partner, uh, uh, maybe you could actually then take over ownership of the space and then uh, um, uh, gradually, uh, but it would be probably with operational impact, uh, you know, restore the building um, uh, over time, but it wouldn't be on squarely on the dimes of the system, which obviously we don't have it. Uh, um, uh, there's a host of things I think we could consider. All sorts of options we don't. Yeah, in front of us because we don't have that many. Right. So it, it would be instructing us to do do that analysis uh, rather than making the commitment of you know uh, four and a half to possibly well the contingency of five five plus million dollars here um, if we stay within that, but uh, to do this right now. So so we have it before you because we felt it was responsible to do that. Uh, but we are we, we we share your concerns, all the things that you pointed out here that you know this is a substantial investment at a time where we're struggling uh, to even make other investments in spaces that we do own um, um, uh, to continue our services, not to diminish the importance of this service, but to say when you're comparing all those different investments, do you do you do you do this and look for something more strategic uh, while you while you do it? Do we know? Um... Do we know what the construction market, what the costs of construction are going to look like in a year versus now, based on what's been happening? Um, I, I do not. I, I would not know what that what that would look like. I, I, what I will say is that uh, again, from from at a high level, from from all the the discussions I've had. I mean, obviously, we know that the last three four months have had a significant impact on 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 the you know commercial business uh not only commercial real estate but also uh you know contractors doing work uh where they've been unable to do work and so you know the cost of raw goods has gone up uh in some areas but you know again it's offset by the fact that you know they're you know contractors are 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 certainly open uh to to take on projects as they're trying to keep themselves moving forward so again the future's hard to tell here i, I would say that uh, the costs would probably not be very different from where they are now uh, and, and uh, you know, something I, for us to... If I could add, I mean, I run an organization that's developing affordable housing, 
And what we're finding is that it's pat right now. There's no major savings being incurred because of the risk environment we're in right now with the economy. The likelihood of realizing savings in construction exists pretty highly six, nine, 12 months out. Um, So there's going to be likely an opportunity to save money. The other opportunity, quite frankly, is in the new reality in the Bay Area is that buildings are going to become available because companies um, and organizations are changing their practices. Uh, They have less people coming into workspaces and so forth. So buildings that maybe or maybe not repurposable um, are going to come on the market. And um, I think it's real. uh, That's what interests me more is the opportunities here, not the, uh, the being forced into to another expenditure um, when we have oh, $1.2 million EBITDA. You know I mean? I'd add, and this is a little uh, spin on your question, Trustee DeVries, about the construction market, but also to uh, Trustee's uh, position about kind of the, the market in general. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the impact of the increased uh, uh, regulatory practices and burden on uh, um, private SNP uh, enterprises does to that um, that uh, part of the business um, mm. or of the uh, delivery system. I would say I think SNPs. Um, mm. Yeah, as as we've seen the impacts of, of um, spread of pandemic uh, uh, within SNP settings because of uh, perhaps not as robust infection prevention practices and um, regulatory oversight that has definitely been ratcheted up. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's going to impact the business model. So would that be sort of underscaled sniff sites might not be able to make it work anymore? Uh, I, I think it's going to have some market impact where people may decide that the the, the, the business model doesn't pencil out as much anymore. Um, um, you know, ours does, as Luis was saying, uh, uh, in large part, uh, the distinct part uh, um, uh, component uh, really does help us. Uh, there is a certain... Um, mile radius geography that that you have in order to keep uh, or retain that sort of designation when you're associated with a a facility so we we have options i believe um uh in the market if those if those things were to come to pass and we wanted to add to our our um um licensure from a distinct part perspective um obviously the, the the wrinkle in the dynamic here that uh is a political one that uh, we would have to be careful with with this board and with the district board is if we are doing anything to then reduce the uh, beds on the island um, uh, that are part of that license versus the ones that are uh, on uh, here that are part of this license. Um, and one of the things that we even talked about uh, from the earlier conversations about the future of Alameda Hospital uh, was, and we didn't go down the road to exploring this, uh, but we did uh, at least look on a cursory basis and we felt ironically because uh, Park Ridge is, is uh, just over the, the Park Street Bridge um, that it falls within a geography that it may actually, and again, we didn't do this, but but it may actually be able to keep a distinct part designation and be uh, put against a Highland license and still uh, meet the geographic uh, parameters. I, I don't recall where we landed on that, but I thought that that was a possibility. So that's something that can be checked out. Isn't it, isn't it something like 15 miles? Yeah, that's what I believe. And that's why yeah. I think it's well within that uh, radius. I think it was about halfway. Uh, so I think that's right, Trustee uh, Peterson. 
I've been, I've been part of uh, uh, several look, you know, the, the number of skilled nursing beds across the state is, uh, is not that high. And the, the cost of construction for skilled nursing care and the, the process you have to go through with OSHPOD takes years. Mm -hmm. and so, so that's why you have all these skilled nursing facilities around that frankly are in old, outdated buildings having three and four clients mm -hmm. in the same room. Uh, and when you look at the cost of construction of something new, it's just, you know, it, it's just very, very expensive and it just generally doesn't pencil out. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're, when you're not distinct part, I think. Uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, other, other questions or thoughts from trustees? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just want to say I'm, I'm, I'm really inclined to vote no on this contract um, <clears throat> and make a motion that uh, Delvecchio kind of captured a few minutes ago about, you know, exploring these options, exploring the, the lease penalties, exploring, you know, what we can do with Fairmont, what we can do with potentially other buildings, you know, just, just putting a pause on this. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, that sounds like a motion. Is there a second? Second. Okay, discussion? Well, I, ju I just want to make sure that we don't defer this decision too long. I mean, we really, you know, we if, if we're going to go forward, uh, you know, it, with something, I think we need to, it needs to be, you know, kind of time. We, we kicked this thing down the road a year or two just by doing a quick fix, you know, may end up in the same place later. So I just, I just think that. Well, let's let's not let let's let's not end up. Let, let's yeah. do the research in earnest. When we thought this roof was going to cost two million dollars, we knew we were getting hosed by the Zimmermans, but we were like, well, you know, yeah. we need we need these beds. But at at, at five and a half million, and then we hear about these other costs that are going to get us up to seven or eight without a full. Something we don't own. And yeah. we're getting hosed. Yeah. I just can't go there. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Joe. I just think we should have some, some time to, you know, quickly come up with what our alternatives are. Yeah, and that's why my point isn't just to vote against this contract. It's to direct staff to, you know, do that research now uh, to see what our options are. Luis, do you Put think... Put a time frame on it? Yeah, do we, do we think... Uh, Luis, do you think you could... Uh, and I, uh, I think council's on this phone and, and our CEO's here. Do you think three months is enough time to explore the legal, the operational, and the financial implications of this move? Is three months enough? Feels a little tight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just say it's too. That's too tight. And that, that, I, I, mean, I, 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 I guess the reason I'm hesitating is I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what type of detail we need to get into. I mean, certainly. I mean, a lot of these things can happen concurrently, but. Uh, I really won't know. I mean, I can provide an update of where we are uh, at minimum. Um, yeah. Can I, can I, I, I don't think it'll take three months to figure out the legal ramifications of, of breaking the lease. Uh, maybe my motion would be that we, we put in a monthly update on our finance committee um, meeting on the uh, state of, uh, on the state of Park Bridge options, uh, be, be it the lease uh, break, uh, other opportunities, uh, other acquisitions, etc. Yeah, like let's make this a monthly update so we really hold ourselves to it. That's that sounds perfect. So so and then maybe putting a checklist. Maybe by next month we 
this focus on the legal implications of this and have start off with that the legal and compliance implications of this vis-a-vis -vis the joint powers agreement and the sublease with the zimmermans etc start off with legal does that sound okay yeah unless you stumble upon a vacant building that's perfect and then bring that yeah. back in too. <laughs> it would be wonderful if did it. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I can do that. Other uh, questions or concerns, thoughts, discussion? I'm going to call the question. Um, all those in favor of the motion? Aye. 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 All those opposed? Any abstentions? No. So, Red. Uh, <laughs> Trustee Peterson, you voted for it. I just want to clarify. Yes, for I did. I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm not trying to push you. I just want to I know, I know. record your vote. <laughs> <laughs> and, and hey, and Ross, we didn't uh, we we didn't create another ad hoc committee for you to run. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's big. <laughs> that is really something else. Okay, let's move on to the last contract. To consider and that's the royal ambulance it's e3 the royal ambulance contract and tangerine uh i don't know if you're here yeah uh, we are we were multitasking uh there's a caph meeting going on right now uh so she may be in that uh call uh, but, i'm here eliza's oh tangerine oh she's back sorry yeah i'm here I, I, all right go ahead wonderful thank you and sheila eliza is here and sheila is as you know our uh, care management, we've had the opportunity to um, have further conversations with uh, Royal based on uh, some of the concerns that were raised at the last finance committee. And so Sheila um, joined with Susanna will provide an overview of the contract, the changes that have been made to the contract, and then I'll really talk about um, the value that we are getting from Royal as a partner related to our transportation services. So let me turn it over to Sheila. Sheila? You're on mute. Sheila, you're on mute. Yeah. Okay, my my apologies. And then um, Susanna, please chime in in regards to the um, proposed changes. Because I understand that the contract was presented um, uh, last month. And um, the request was to go back and take a look at some potential uh, revisions. And so that's what we did. Uh, so just as an overview, um, Royal, Royal Ambulance, we contracted with them um, three years ago. And when I first came on, we were initially contracted with WestMed, just to give you a, a broad overview. And um, unfortunately, that contract uh, terminated um, uh, very abruptly. And we had to um, submit a request for a proposal. And we evaluated um, three different vendors for the contract. Um, so we, we looked at uh, Falk, uh, Pro Transport. Uh, WestMed decided, uh, given the experience with um, AHS, they were not interested in um, resuming a, a, con a contractual relationship. And then we also uh, evaluated Royal. And in evaluation of all three um, RFPs, uh, Royal um, presented um, the most optimal uh, contract um, with AHS based on um, uh, data reporting, um, experience, 
their ability to uh, provide uh, very good pricing, as well as um, an engagement with us to move from uh, the majority of our cases were BLS, and we wanted to see more use of wheelchair and gurney um, and lower levels of care transport across the system. And they also opened up for ride sharing, created another um, opportunity for us because we had um, significant uh, costs associated with taxi use um, uh, within AHS across the system. So um, here we are, um, we're back with um, renewing the contract. And the initial uh, proposal uh, was for um, well over um, 7 million because it's a three-year contract. And so we went back and we revised um, the term of the agreement as one um, option. So we, we, we've reduced it to two years, um, which has reduced it by more than half. Um, and of course, it's year to year, so we can renew it um, every year or we can decide that we're not going to renew it. Um, in addition, we looked at um, their price increase. So last uh, in the last contract period, uh, the agreement was to um, increase by um, 3% and they did not um, request that increase. So they for did forego it. So in this period, <laughs> yes, yeah, so in this contract period, um, there is a 5% increase and then it's, it will be a 3%. Um, we also added um, an expense for um, ECMO. So the ECMO transportation is new to the contract, which also has contributed to some of the cost. And that is because we are um, uh, certified and ECMO is required for um, heart, lung bypass machines when we transfer patients for cardiac related procedures out of um, AHS for higher levels of care. Um, and then in addition, we reduced, let me just look here. We looked at volume. Um, given um, the reduction in transportation um, related to COVID, so we did take a critical look and say, well, given that we've had a certain period where we're looking at a lower transport volume, can we make certain assumptions in the first contract period? So we did that. We, we took um, an estimate of what we think it would be with um, an assumption that in the second year, we will resume um, back to our normal transportation level. So we looked at that. And then in addition, our uh, proposal in this contract is to put in ride, ride share, not ride share, but round trip. And that is a software that will interface with Epic and that will create additional efficiencies with transportation within the system. So the benefit is that we will be able to, again, align transportation based on criteria to the appropriate transportation method, which could result in more savings. So we're using less BLS transport and we can use more ride share, we can use more gurney or wheelchair transportation as opposed to immediately requesting a BLS transport. I have a quick question for you, just out, you know, lack of lack of my knowledge. Yeah. So with these are for transfers people transferring from uh from our our system to other hospitals is that right it is it is inter-facility transport okay. where, where alameda health system is respond is bearing the financial cost okay so like when we have somebody in the emergency room uh, at highland and, and we transfer them to alameda would that be included in the is that part of the contract that is correct 
but it but it people who are uh emergency med whoops i lost uh, all right any, anyway i think i answered my question thank you yeah yeah if you were if you were going to if, if someone is being transported uh from another facility that's outside of our system to us that's a, a cost that they bear that's not Got it. yes Yes, that is a cost. And, and, and I would say what, what I found in um, working with a Royal in the last um, contract period is that they've been very engaging in terms of um, presenting data. We've had uh, metrics built into the contract and we have met on a regular um, quarterly basis to over to look at all of the data. So we look at volume, we look at where the transport is occurring any service level issues um, to address with them, and then also process improvement. What can we do to improve um, the transport within the system? Are we using it appropriately? Um, and are we using it inappropriately? For example, we're providing uh, services to a health plan member when we should not be bearing that cost. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Sheila, this is Taft. It might be a little yes. bit granular. Uh, so, so I guess we're looking at 7.16 million for a two year, so roughly 3.55 or so million yes. per year. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, and if I know this is a granular question, can you tell me how, how many roughly basic life, basic life support transports that is in a year? How many transports are we getting out of this? Oh, you mean for the ECMO? Uh, no, no. So BLS would not be ECMO. ECMO would be advanced cardiac life support. So, okay. so, so just a, a basic transfer. How many transports are we getting intrasystem for this three point five million dollars? So, um, well, let let me um, sort of break break out where all of that comes. The it, the majority is the volume. Okay. So we're looking we're looking at at least four thousand. Uh, okay your 4,000 uh, 4, transport. But one of our opportunities is that we transport a lot of our patients um, for outside services. Right. So there's my, service is a, my service is a very big utilizer of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the more we can bring in network, we can have a savings of those services as well as the transport related costs. Okay. 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 And there, so and ballpark... I'm sorry, sorry, just to uh, sort of underscore that point. One of the things that's on that two by two grid uh, that we pointed out uh, that we're still doing work on OMS is outside medical services. That's what we are looking at. exist in that space. So Sheila, thank you for that data. So at, at you know, 3.6 million, 4,000 transports, we're talking about 895 bucks a transport, roughly, mm -hmm. which actually isn't when I, I've seen a lot of ambulance bills. Actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> that's actually pretty no. good. No, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the cost per transport um, is, is fairly reasonable. And in yeah. fact, uh, when I looked at the uh, cost of services from the previous um, RFPs, they were far more. The yeah. cost per transport was much higher than what Royal is proposing. And in fact, even their rates today shows a competitive rate than what yeah. I saw three years ago. And for the other trustees, I've seen transport rates as high as $4,000 per transport. And so we're, we're talking a volume, if, if we're really talking 4,000, about roughly 900 bucks, 1,000 bucks of transfer. So uh, at face value, this looks like a good transport. And then on top of this, uh, uh, other trustees, ECMO, that means extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. These patients are actively dying uh, right now, and we need to get them to a center that has 
ECMO or, or, or we can get to them. So this is a very high level, this is the highest level of transport. So having that in our stable of options that we can pull the trigger on rather than trying to ad hoc it at the last second, which we've done in the past, is, is, is essential to, to many of our patients. To quality. I, um, I want to say thank you for uh, both going the extra mile and, and, and sitting down with them. And it really sounds like you had a great dialogue and that you're having great dialogue with Royal. Um, and, and so I really appreciate the work and, and bringing it back to us and, and reworked. And I will make a motion to approve, absolutely. Okay. Second. Thank you. Okay, we have a, a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 So we're there. Okay, thank you. I think that was, I really appreciate the report from staff. Thank you for uh, uh, doing that extra effort on that. Every so often we pull a contract to, to just make life interesting for our staff. Um, good work. Um, well, considering the times we're going in, you might, you yeah. might expect more of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my observation is uh, what I got from the report was there's an improvement in quality that comes from this. And yeah. there's a reasonable amount of inflation. And in the Bay Area, for God's sakes, that's that's understood. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. satisfactory, definitely. Thank you. Um, okay, uh, item uh, F, uh, discussion of uh, <coughs> uh, issues tracking. I think we got enough of that on our radar. <laughs> Do we, does, anything else, anyone else wants to add to that? Move to adjourn. <laughs> you you yeah. gotta be kidding. We gotta at least go to eight o'clock, don't we? No. <laughs> I'm I'm on a mission to improve as chair. Come on. <laughs> okay, we have a motion. We have a second. Second. <laughs> okay, all those in favor of journey. Bye. <laughs> <Aye. laughs> have a good evening, everyone. Bye. 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 Thank you.